What's up, Sifters? Welcome to Game Face episode 87. Do you like data? We like data. Star Trek, maybe? <laughs> We've got data on today's show. Brent Spiner will be here <laughs> to tell us everything he doesn't care about. In full makeup. <laughs> Actually, Nielsen put out a huge report on the gaming industry this week, and we're going to dive into it and uncover every little element of it and discuss all of it. So, should be good. And we're going to talk about the future of the Hitman franchise. If, if any. If there is one. <laughs> and lastly, we're going to talk about Madden NFL 18. Just announced today, Sam the TriCaster guy is a Patriots fan, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure the Madden curse happens this year. Let's go! <laughs> Good afternoon, Sifters. It's Game Face, episode 87 on Sifted.net, ready to rock your world with the best in video games from the week. It has been a rather slow week in gaming. Yeah, it's a bit of a... industry took a breath. It did. This week. Um, I was hoping to get to play The Surge for today's show. I got the code today. It comes out on Tuesday. Uh, early indications are, there's no way I'll have that game done by Tuesday. Um. It looks absolutely massive. Um, still plugging along on Persona 5. I am finished at this point. You are there. Right there, yeah. Yeah. I it, could probably do it today if I could stand listening to that game any longer. I mean, <laughs> it's a, it's, I like it really, you know, overall, but it's just, it's, it's been a death march for the last 10, 15 hours. Yeah, yeah. The last 30 hours of that game, the combat's easy and it's just scrolling through text. And you're like, yes, thank you. Please explain the twist that I I knew from like hour 30. Yeah. And it's like, it's, I, I don't know, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to just like pretend I don't know what the game has been building to for that long to like be nice to it. Or right. like, 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 who was that for? Like, the twist, <laughs> like, like the, the big twist at the end where it's like, okay, the only parts of this I didn't already know or figure out were the parts you didn't show me. Yet. It's yeah, It's like exactly. the cheapest whodunit trick of like, oh, you didn't figure this out because we didn't show you the relevant information, even though the character you're playing is in that scene. You know, so yeah. it's like, it's, um, I don't know. <laughs> in I've, the interest I've, of full disclosure, for the last month probably, yeah. before the show, Matt and I sit here and we talk about Persona 5 right up until it's time for mm -hmm. the show to kick off. Uh, it's such a long game. There's so yeah. much to talk about. And it's... Anytime a game is that long, it's very easy to inevitably have flaws that you can discuss. Oh, yeah. But the bottom line is we've both played the game for well over 100 hours. And for a $60 purchase, that's a pretty good value. Pretty good. So I just... Uh... I have some choice words for the for the localizers, because yeah. uh, I, mean, I, I mean, well, some guy. I think one of the other guys. He didn't work on it, but he's a he's a localizer. He's a translator, and he he basically got the Japanese text from a friend in Japan and like ran it through Google Translate, and a lot of it is basically verbatim what's in the English word version, for word. word for word. You know, <laughs> like there's there's a lot of stuff in here. Where it's like, yeah, ninety percent of this dialogue is something in English. Someone who speaks English would not say it that way. Yeah. Um, it's just way. But what are you gonna do? Play it for uh, 100, play it for 100 hours. hours, apparently. <laughs> also, it could really use a couple more battle tracks. A lot more. Music. Music's yeah. great, but, like, needs to be a little more of it. I can't listen to any song as many times as I've listened to that song no. and still like it. It's no. just like, impossible. There, there are songs from the 80s I haven't heard that many times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. All right, let's move on to the show proper. Uh, first, we're going to talk about uh, what I think is EA panicking a little bit. 
Uh, so obviously Mass Effect Andromeda comes out. It's an unfinished game, blatantly unfinished. Um, the sales seem to be okay. Uh, critics were pretty harsh on it. I think if you look at users, though, users have actually really liked it. Yeah, I haven't noticed any real serious like negative response to that game from anyone who isn't like us. Right. You know, yeah, like, most like, of the people who are just playing it, like I see, I've seen a lot of articles. Like sometimes like, you wonder, like, you know, because I don't associate EA with listening too much to the hardcore fandom. Yeah. Um, but I feel like they might be doing that here uh, to a to a fault. Wait, maybe. But you just said you thought the hardcore fans were generally positive on it. No, I think uh, like the, the the casual fan, the people who just like Mass Effect, uh, okay. are. But like you're, I'm you. talking about like people on enthusiast forums and oh, Reddit, people who and, like, are people on like Mass Effect, Mass Effect, Effect but also just game junkie. You know, people who are like us that will like rip things apart and, and yeah. just, you know, or, as opposed to people who just sit down and play it for a couple hours a night and just enjoy their space adventure. Yeah, um, I think that's the majority. You know, you don't sell millions of copies of a game without selling to that audience for sure. Uh, yeah. and they're the ones who make things a hit not us if yep. we're really getting down to You're it absolutely right. and i feel like while i appreciate ea is taking some of the criticism to heart um they might be overcorrecting a bit yeah, you think they're going overboard a, a little tad, bit a tad so what happened this week is ea during its financial call it essentially announced that it's not closing bioware montreal which is a studio that built andromeda mm-hmm. which in hindsight why would you ever hand that game to that studio? It really makes your biggest franchise. It makes no sense to me. Because Edmonton's doing something, something else. Yeah, but it did. Edmonton's game has also, by the way, yeah. been delayed, and it's not coming till financial financial year twenty nineteen. I wonder how much of this is like some kind of weird frostbite problem. I don't know. Like I, is, frostbite's is it, taken over EA, by the way. Oh yeah. Like, is it a technical issue? Are you having trouble cramming like Bioware style stuff into the Frostbite engine? Because it sure looks like it. it does. Uh, it? Or is it you know there's a lot of there was a lot of uh, anonymous talk about uh, uh, production problems and management issues and Edmonton kind of lording stuff over Montreal and Montreal not wanting to listen to Edmonton and like. Uh, it sounds like there's a there's a very juicy uh, behind the scenes documentary to be made. Yeah, someday we'll never know about probably. <laughs> so essentially, what EA did was it took the Mass Effect franchise away from Bioware Montreal, and honestly took give me that it re- exactly <laughs> and really took game development in general away from the studio. It is now going to be a support studio mm. uh, as teams within EA's umbrella come upon roadblocks when developing games, people from the Montreal studio will be called in to sort of fill in the blanks, so to speak. They're basically a company of extra hands now. Yeah. Um, I think that's crazy. Uh, I feel like if this game even had an extra two months of development to really iron out a lot of the rough edges, it would have done a lot better. Uh The game is already a ton better. I don't know if you've checked it out since all the patches, but... I haven't checked it out since last week's, this week's patch. Yeah, um, but it did. It was notably better uh, last time they patched it. I mean, look, just the fact that they boosted the the performance a little bit on PS4 Pro, yeah. and they like, I think they tripled my inventory, and I'm just like, cool, excellent. Yeah. Like that's one of the biggest <laughs> issues I was having from a a non technical problem standpoint yeah. was filling up my inventory with crap. Um, that I couldn't like fully get rid of because when you put a mod in a gun, it doesn't stop taking up inventory space for some yeah. reason. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not how that works. If yeah. I put something on something else, it is no longer in my pocket. Yeah. Bioware. I don't, I don't know if you know that. Um, but you know, even with its with its flaws and the and the and the problems that Andromeda has, and it has a lot. 
Like, I don't look at that game and think, like, well, these guys should never be allowed to do this Right, again. this is a studio I, killer. Yeah, I, always, I, I play that, and, like, for all my complaints about that game, I think, well, you know, I bet their next one will be better. Right. Because, like, I feel like you got to chalk up Andromeda a little bit as a learning experience. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I was kind of interested to see what they were going to follow it up with. Because, yeah. look, it's not a bad idea for a Mass Effect game. Uh, for, or even just for a science fiction RPG story, action RPG story. Like, what they're doing there is interesting. That, that, that By the end, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of potential in where you could take that. All you need to do is find a mass relay or some kind of magic mass drive to stick in the ship, and all of a sudden you can explore the entire Andromeda galaxy for the sequel. Um, like, I feel like there's a lot of ground... To, there's a lot of ground to cover. There's a lot of, like, you know, you could address a lot of my complaints with the game, which is, like, it all takes place in one small galactic cluster which means we only get like one new friendly sentient species and we right. only get the one new enemy group and like it just feels a little folded in compared that to that could have been a case where they're like hey we need this done oh yeah i mean it's the time to do some chopping uh but also i mean it makes sense in in lore to kind of be like well we don't have mass relays so we can't travel beyond the right. certain I'm talking radius, more about the like, species and, and mm, the lack thereof. Right. It's just uh, that was one of the more disappointing elements. Was like early on, you you run into the cat, the cat, and you run into the uh, the the Australian. Okay, guys. What are they called? I can't remember. <laughs> they're all they're all Australian. Like it's, right, they're yeah. all Australian in New Zealand, and like they they're, to the point that one of their cities is actually called Australia or something yeah, like that. I was yeah. like, guys, <laughs> like I know a team from Montreal. Right. <laughs> like um, what? So, but like it's you know it's fine it's it's uh, but it's just like it felt weird that like you know pretty early in the game I felt like I'd kind of encountered everything I was going to encounter and the rest of it was just sort of mop up yeah um, and I feel like it lacked a sense of exploration in terms of discovering new races and new places and and then, and then cutting the non major you know you had no Corians or or. Uh, or uh, Elcor, or uh, the the mole people, and all. I mean, it, it just felt like you'd you'd stripped a lot of the kind of color out of the Mass Effect world by only having like four races from Milky Way make it to Andromeda, yeah. and then you only gave me two more to replace them. One of which was really pretty similar to yeah. the Protheans. <laughs> yeah, totally. you know, like the, yeah. the, your new ally race reminds me a lot of them. My contention over just, this whole situation, but there's just there's where there's places they could go, and I don't see any. Looking at that game, I don't feel any reason to look at that and say like, well, Bioware Montreal could never make a great Mass Effect game because I yeah. feel like they made a uh, an okay to good one if you ignore the technical problems and. You know, like I think by like their third game, they'd probably be firing on all cylinders, and it'd be a pretty great experience. My contention is that these games are some of the most difficult games to create in the entire industry. Mm -hmm. It's like someone can't swim, and you throw them into the twelve foot end of the pool, and you're like, "Good luck." And to me, maybe they needed a life preserver, but they got their asses back up to the surface of the water, and at least doggy paddled their asses to the side, like. Mm -hmm. I feel like EA is selling this studio short. For a first effort with one of the most challenging genres to develop in the industry, I think it did a commendable job. And I'm totally with you. I would love to see what this team comes up with again. And above all this, just putting the Mass Effect franchise on a hiatus. like Silly. From the things that EA has said, it sounds like 
we won't see another Mass Effect for like five or six years. Like <laughs> much like this time. Yeah, I mean, um, it, you're right though. That's kind of. But how it's it like I, I don't understand. I mean, I do understand in terms of like you can't take ma major financial risks in this industry anymore, or that your next bomb could be your your last. We are talking um, about EA. But we are talking about EA. Which the stock but of it's EA like, just went over $100 for the first but time that in is, company history. But that is kind of like why I, there's certain companies when they do this thing where like, oh, this, this installment in this long-running franchise didn't live up to our expectations. So instead of like learning from it and moving forward and making one that, that fits people's expectations and, and, and fits the series better and, and is a better take on the material, we're just going to vault it. Yeah, for, uh, so and like, And of course, right here, I'm thinking of Metroid. Yeah. Um, because Nintendo's another company that ain't going to run out of cash anytime soon. Yeah. And their response to other M could have been, okay, let's make a good Metroid. Right. But instead, they're like, let's just not talk about Metroid Well, I think Nintendo's years. approach a lot of times is like, if it doesn't sell, instead of assuming it's the quality of the game that's a problem, Nintendo assumes that people don't, don't like that it. Game. Don't like yeah, that franchise, franchise or that gone. character yeah. anymore. Um, so I feel like it still doesn't explain F Zero. No, you're um, right. But that's comparing kind of apples to oranges. I feel like Nintendo to EA in this situation. Sort uh, of, but like I mean, it's not like Andromeda bombed either. Like it sold very well, not yeah, as but well it's like as the prior from games, the company but... that sold. I mean, coming from the company that made a sequel to Mirror's Edge. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Good. Good point. I mean, <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? You're okay guys? with making another Mirror's Edge when the first one completely tanked. And you're just going to cut off the Mass Effect franchise, even though yeah. this one is selling pretty well. Yeah, it's selling way better than Catalyst, that's oh, for sure. Oh, for sure, so yeah. what's the problem? I mean, obviously we're not going to get a Mirror's Edge 3, but yeah. it's just weird to me that uh, they would think the best solution to this is to shut Mass Effect down as opposed to try it again with a little more organizational detail. I'm wondering, too, if EA now regrets letting BioWare Edmonton work on that new IP instead of keeping it on Mass Effect and maybe let the other studio work on the newer ideas. Maybe. I mean, you could use Montreal as kind of a prototyping thing, but I don't know how well that would work if you're trying to reverse engineer something you didn't like if you're Edmonton after the fact. But they probably should have basically made Edmonton keep making Mass Effect games if they wanted that franchise to continue. Um, now you're in a weird hole where EA's afraid to make another one, Montreal's not going to get a chance to hone their skills further, and I think you know the core audience is going to be kind of skeptical of any further Mass Effect games as a result of how this one launched. Um, but I think you could have uh, you could have like kind of smoothed that over a bit by having Montreal make the next one and sort of have them do a bit of a mea culpa kind of you know we know this the first one wasn't you know you know up to snuff. We very you know acknowledge the flaws, acknowledge the problems, say like we that's in in mind this time and. You're not gonna. You're not gonna have those disappointments. This we think we we nailed it this time. And like, and but, maybe you but instead, a couple like, people from from Edmonton in well, with the team. Well, and the rumor lived there well, for a while. Well, the rumor is that that was kind of what was happening. Oh, okay. And Edmonton, that was more of a problem and an impediment gotcha. than anything else. Um, at least that's what some of the Montreal people were saying anonymously on on various interviews. But um, so there's probably. I mean, there might be a big internal strife issue with this this series uh, and this situation that EA knows about and we don't. So EA's just like, just everybody, just shut up. Like, you know, like maybe maybe it's that bad. I don't know. But um, it feels to me that at the very least, if you end up giving this series to another team at some point, 
you're basically running. You're going to hit the same wall where you're like, okay, and you got a new person, new group right. that's never made that this learning curve. You have to get over it all over again. I mean, where do you even when you're like, we're going to make a Mass Effect game? Here's a blank whiteboard. Go. Like, I don't even know where you'd start yeah. to do that. Like, I mean, if you think about it too, Edmonton's working on this other IP, which sounds a little risky to me. It's kind of this like always online. I don't know. They've tried to describe it, and I can't really get it. Um, there's only really like a developer doc mm. that talks about it for like literally like 45 seconds or whatever. You think we might finally see some details on that at E3? I think we have to. Um, but if you think about that, and they've already announced in their financial reports that that game is not scheduled to come out until financial year 2019, which means basically March 2018. Mm-hmm. They'll probably do the same thing with that game that they just did with, with Andromeda. And so you say, okay, well, if Edmonton finishes that game up, in early 2018, and then it starts on the next next Mass Effect. You're looking at 20- well, that, would be, that would probably be March 2019 then. Yeah, right. Yeah, fiscal, fiscal year 19 would be April 2018 to March. No, you're absolutely 19. right. Sorry, so, yeah, so I had maybe that I mean probably aiming for a Christmas release and would miss it and release in January like every other Mass Effect game has ever done. Yeah. Mass Effect, before this one, Mass Effect was a January. So you're looking at the earliest, the next Mass Effect 2021, 2022. I can't believe I'm saying those years, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) It's like science fiction is is here. But there's something something about going past 2020 is is harder. (laughs) For my brain to comprehend, yeah. But you start thinking about that's when we're looking at the next Mass Effect. Again, we're talking five or six years from now. After what's happened with Andromeda... How much cachet does the franchise have at that point? Obviously, Edmonton working on it would boost the, mm. the, the interest in it a little bit, but... I mean, it's, it's, it's a good question. Is it dead? Is Mass Effect done? Could be. I mean, look, I was kind of okay with it being done after 3. Yeah. Not that I hate 3. I really I love 3. I love all those games. But I didn't need any more, yeah. frankly. And this and Andromeda is extraneous. I don't. I don't need that. I mean, it will, it will not sit on the shelf next to my other Mass Effect games. In part because the other Mass Effects had nice, thick collector's editions, and yeah. this one is just a <laughs> tiny little PS4 game. Right. Um, but uh, you know, it's it was fine. It did not. It scratched the Mass Effect itch a little bit. It didn't quite get there uh, in the way that like uh, the others did. But it was fine. Like I didn't. You know, I was ready to kind of judge that thing real harshly and uh i think conceptually it was solid and true to what the others had done and it didn't bother me that it was in the universe with the rest of the with the shepherd game so which to me is like that was a best case scenario for me like i was you know i think i i I was pretty skeptical about that game for a long time whenever we talked about it and it was like, you know, I'm not going to, it's not going to be on my game of the year shortlist by any means, but uh, but I do look at it and think, yeah, it, you earned your, you earned your side story place in, in the in the Mass Effect canon. And uh, I would have been willing to go with it and with uh, Bioware Montreal further in that, in that line. I would absolutely play another Mass Effect from Bioware Montreal without any hesitation. I really enjoyed Andromeda, so... I feel like EA's kind of backed itself into a corner now. Well, where, it was like you, you, forget, I mean, you forget that EA doesn't really have that many regular franchises. I know. Like there's, That's they what I'm saying. And this like is, they're starting to struggle to fill an hour at E3. Yeah, at I point. mean, you could argue this is their its biggest franchise. I mean, I mean, Madden sells, what, three or four any, million a year? At least year. anything that's not licensed, yeah. I mean, yeah. Beyond, like Madden and Battlefront. Uh, yeah, I guess Battle Battlefront at this like, point probably is bigger. I mean, they're probably banking pretty hard on Star Wars for the next few years, but which uh, makes sense. Maybe, yeah, it totally makes sense. But like, yeah, it's. I mean, when I think of bio, uh, EA's you know original content, it's basically this and Battlefield, and that's it. 
Yeah. Like, what else is there? There's Man. A, there's, there's, <laughs> I mean, there's miles of dead franchises they're never going to touch again. Right. You know, in their wake that they don't even let, you know, they don't even, that's the pr- problem with EA as well. Is like, they don't leverage their back catalog. They don't do remasters. They don't bring anything back. Like, they don't want to bring back Wing Commander. They don't want to bring back Starflight. They don't want to bring back any of these, like, classic game. Oh, I mentioned Starflight again. Um, <laughs> there was a period where I was mentioning Starflight every single yeah, episode. Yeah, you're right. Stop doing it. Um, but they just don't leverage those old games in any meaningful way, and they just keep kind of grinding forward with these franchises that, you know, they're all giant, and they're all huge productions, and, like, if one of them falls out, like Mass Effect is about to do, then what? Because they've also got rid of, you know, I don't see another Dragon Age coming anytime soon. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so we're down to kind of the sports games and the PopCap stuff and Battlefield and Star Wars. It's Star Wars. I mean, EA has put such a huge investment into Star Wars. And it makes sense. I mean, mm. oh, yeah. strike while the iron's hot. There's nothing really bigger than Star Wars right now. So I feel like it was a smart deal that it, that it made with Disney. But if you're not a Star Wars fan, if there is such a thing... What oh, do you... there is. <laughs> really? Are there people who don't like Star Wars? Oh, yeah. Really? Okay. Like Star Trek fans? It's just like that rivalry yeah, thing? Yeah, some people... I mean, you run into people who have never seen them. That's um, insane. And, uh, How's that even possible? I don't know. They for, must for, have a long t- <laughs> for a long time, Kevin Pereira had never seen any of them. Really? I don't remember, I don't remember why. Um, I don't know if he has by now, but uh, when we were at G4, like, he had never seen a Star Wars movie. And there was a, some, some people, and I think he did too, he, you get to a point where like, you're kind of proud. That yeah, you've never yeah, seen it's like movie. a badge of honor. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, I don't know anything about your stupid space fantasy thing, I'm not, and I'm never going to. You know, like, So um, it was... Uh, it, it, it's it's just like one of those things that like you know there's people that haven't been exposed to it yeah. and uh, then there's also I don't people, know if it's possible there's also people well I mean you know I don't I, know if you remember when I worked uh, when I ran Spike. to be fair um, that was back in like what 2004 yeah it was before like geek culture had kind of hit right. critical pop culture mass yeah. and we started hosting a Star Wars event every other freaking month and like yeah. you know after that every you know I think after that we all pretty much had to be Star Wars fans. Well, I don't know if you remember or not, but when I ran Spike.com, Spike TV had the exclusive on all the Star Wars movies. And literally, it would just strip them. It right, would just run yeah. one after another after another. And back then, Spike was really low on the dial. Like It was like channel like 40 or something like that. So it's hard for me to comprehend how someone would never have been exposed to them. Crazy well, thing. some people don't like Star Wars because they're overexposed to it. Right. Like, they think it's be. just too much and they don't care anymore, or the prequels ruined it for them, and they just never want to hear about it again. The crazy thing was is that, you know, as a team that promote, ran Spike.com and tried to promote what was going on in the network, you know, they were always unhappy with the ratings that Star Wars was getting. And so they'd always come to us and say, hey, you know, we need to push this, like, harder and harder. And so we'd try to, but... Working with Lucas was impossible. Like, they would not let us use images from the movies to promote it. And in some cases, we weren't even allowed to use, like, in the titles of stuff, we could say Star Wars, but if we wrote articles and whatever, we had to be very careful about the verbiage that we used. Like, we weren't allowed to mention particular things about... Mm -hmm. It was insane the way they guarded that franchise. It's, uh... Yeah, I did... did, A couple years ago, I did a... I worked on a show that... For them, and, uh wrote wrote all of it actually and um i have never been in in script me i mean this is like a nonsense it was a fluff sort of pr kind of thing. i mean it was, it was it was not a critical show it was not a you know anything other than like hey star wars is awesome and and look what's coming you right know? Yeah. it was right around force force awakens release and uh i have never been in script meetings <laughs> like the like 
individual word like just like like yeah. wording to the yeah. level like believe me if persona really 5 had this kind with. of scrutiny it would have yeah. been a much better game <laughs> um but it was it was, it was amazing it was like and i mean tone questions that went so far beyond anything i'd ever thought of writing down a like, sort of generic hype vo yeah. that like I was, and I was, but every single time they did, I'm like, yeah, they're right. I mean, they, you know, they're, <laughs> oh, they're on it. They, I mean, totally. They like, get you're it, totally yeah. right. I'll, yeah, we'll change that right now. But it's like um, the amount of detail, attention to detail. You're right. It's, it's it makes you crazy after uh -huh. a few weeks of doing that, and I can't even. I mean, and well, that was, just, was that in was charge just, of getting the ratings up for these, right. and they're it's like well, that was just dealing. With, we were dealing with, like product stuff. You're dealing with the actual movies. Yeah. It must be the worst. Oh, ever. it's the worst. Yeah. I mean, we couldn't promote it because anytime we'd send us something, they'd be like, nope, yeah. nope. And they would never offer suggestions on how to change it. So we'd have to pour oh, over. So we'd have to go sit with legal and standards and practices and pour over the contract and say, okay, well, what can we actually get away with here? And we'd think we'd find something. We'd mock it up, send it to them. Nope. It's just completely frustrating. So, yeah, working with LucasArts is not the easiest thing in the world, that's for sure. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure EA at this point is just convinced that Star Wars is going to be its cash cow for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. And... I'm sure it made a lot of the decisions that it made around Mass Effect and Bioware Montreal based on the idea that, you know what, we made our money back on Andromeda, mm -hmm. but this isn't what we're really going to make our money on yeah. for the next and decade. Maybe it was even almost like, you know, we've got our space franchise and it's Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, look, they know what's going on at Motive. They've seen the game. So mm -hmm. maybe it's a confidence play where they've seen what's coming and they're like, hey, this stuff's going to be hot. Like... We don't really need you to make another Mass Effect at this point. So it'll be interesting to see what it does. This is not something I think that we're going to get clarity on in the next year or two years. If I think. ever. If ever. Yeah, I mean, maybe leaks start coming out. I mean, maybe the... like once Montreal people start leaving and... Yeah, it's possible. Years later. But yeah, I think it's just going to be one of those things that just goes away. Or it could come... I mean, the Montreal game development community talks. They do, yeah. A lot. The Canadian so... game development community is pretty leaky in general. Yeah. Uh, but Montreal is kind of a hotbed for a bunch of different developers, and they seem to move. There seems to be a pretty fluid uh, movement from like one studio to one studio. Certainly, um, that might be happening right now. Yeah, Ubisoft guys <laughs> will go here, and these guys will go here, you know, and WB yeah. will go here. And it, I mean, it's like so. Everybody seems to know everything that's going on there yeah. in the in the industry. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they all go to the same bars. Oh yeah, but like. They probably have an industry uh, night that they go out to every yeah. week, and yeah. So um, maybe we'll we'll get some some rumor mongering at some. We point. might. I mean, I'm guessing not everyone from EA Montreal is going to stay on yeah. after this. There's going to be some. Well, I don't probably. know if I'd want to after being like, okay, you made your big thing, and now you're just gonna you're gonna make like multiplayer maps. Now. You're gonna sit here and model hats, right? <laughs> that's really what kind of stuff that they're talking about, like DLC. Yeah, and, and, that, and the other thing is like that's an that's a total Activision move. Yeah, like, it that's, is. That's that's, that's cutthroat. Yeah, it's it's, like, it's he's like, learning from the best. It's like what they did to what Activision did to High Moon. You know, it's like, well, you made some pretty cool Transformers games, but now you're just going to make guns. For, yeah, for Call of Duty games. Yeah, like just just model weaponry until you go until you go blind. It's not <laughs> like, a secret that that's the way the industry works, though. Yeah. either. and when people get into it, they know it's better than not having a job. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. it's I better mean, than shutting it down. There's millions of people out there. Some people. Yeah, there's millions of people who would kill to have a job as a game developer, making probably half of what the guys working on Andromeda made. Mm -hmm. So it's just the nature can, of the beast. They can uh, maybe they can console themselves with the fact that at least they live in Montreal, which is a pretty cool city. It is a really cool city, at least in the summer and spring. Yeah, well, I mean... It gets cold real quick. Look, you're in Canada. You're just going to yeah. have to accept that winter is going <laughs> to... 
The Great White North. All right, let's move on. I remember when Blair Herder, they went up. He went up for some Dragon Age thing in uh, in Edmonton, and he and he and Ben Winter, conveniently not Ben Winter, uh, the producer. They ended up. It was the coldest day in Edmonton's recorded history. And, and that's saying something. And that's, I mean, Edmonton is up. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, that is, you're, you're like five, you're, you know, you're a snowball's throw from the Yukon, basically. Well, I think they and, average um, eight degrees below yeah, zero. Yeah, it's, it's cold. In the it's real cold. <laughs> it's, and it really is. And it was because it was, it was a big cold snap everywhere in North America. And I remember they, they went through that and then they, fl- they were flying back and they had to get a connecting flight through Las Vegas and they got snowed in in Las Vegas. What do you mean? It was snowing at Las Vegas and they had to shut the airport down. What? And they were stuck in Las Vegas for like a day after coming all the way from coming Edmonton all the way to from get the coldest day the <laughs> in Edmonton history it was snowing in Las Vegas and they couldn't because it even a little bit of snow in Las Vegas the runway is not oh yeah built it's for all that. over yeah so they had to stay overnight in Las Vegas and Blair was like I'm trapped in Las Vegas because it's snowing and I just came out of the <laughs> coldest hell I've ever seen I mean it was it was uh, it was an amazing trip to experience like just basically through Blair's text messaging yeah <laughs> all right let's move on we're gonna talk about Platinum. Lately, it's it's on quite a tear here, Matt. Last week, get all these teases. We find out the original Bayonetta is coming to PC, and then along with that, kind of we were getting hints about Vanquish coming mm-hmm. to PC. And sure enough, this week, Vanquish announced for PC, running in 4K. What are your impressions of Vanquish, Matt? To me, this this is one of those games that I feel like unfortunately kind of slipped through the cracks. Fell off the radar, never really generated the sales that it deserved. Actually, kind of like a lot of Platinum games. I could argue mm. that about Bayonetta as well. It sold pretty well. But in my opinion, probably top three action games from last generation did not sell up to that level. Mm-hmm. Vanquish, in all honesty, is probably my favorite Platinum game ever. And this game tanked. Like, it did really poorly. Um, what are your impressions of, of Vanquish? I played Vanquish for about two hours, and that was it. That was it. What like, was it that turned you off to it? Like I under, I, t- I definitely understood that there was like a cool combat system in there somewhere. I just didn't care enough to bother to learn it. Like it was, and I think that's Platinum's problem is like maybe, or maybe even beyond that, where it's like I, I definitely look at it and like I always compare Platinum stuff to fighting games because it has that sort of like easy to learn hard to master yeah. sort of thing and um like i see it i see what they want me to do and i'm just like i'm not gonna do that like I'm, I'm, i i always have kind of this thing where it's like one of the things about fighting games where i will put in the effort and time to learn these complex things is because the point is to beat another person and to kind of show someone you know kind of have that sort of test of skill whereas in platinum games like i could spend hours getting good at this so that no one can ever see me do it. It's like, you know, it's like, like there's no payoff for it beyond my own self self gratification, and I don't care that much to do that. Um, I will say that I have watched a lot of videos of Vanquish um, because once you find someone who knows what the hell they're doing oh, in this yeah. game, it's like watching a, a goddamn ballet. It's insane. Like it's, yeah. it's there is some amazing stuff in this you can do with the, with the combat system, but also just there's a lot of cool stuff like the boss battles are amazing and huge you're fighting some huge like robot monsters in this and like there's the famous gif of him like just using this like this robot's head like this like the size of a truck as a punching bag and stuff yeah i mean you can do some really cool stuff in this i and i will probably i think i will pick this up on pc and give it another shot because i know it's it's a beloved uh game from last gen and and I always look at it and I feel like I should like this. I should I should try to get in on this, and I just 
never did. See, uh, I had the advantage of which I blame myself. I don't. I don't. I'm not trying to say the game. Oh, the game was bad, and I bounced off it because it just didn't engage me. It was. It was my problem. It was not the game's problem. I had the advantage of I did not review this when I was working at Game Trailers. Uh, Justin Spear did, and Justin Spear is really good at games. Um, he's just you know of our editorial staff, he was one of the best players, and so a lot of times we would put him on the really challenging games because otherwise half the time people would come back after their first few days playing it and be like, I don't think I'm going to hit Embargo. So we'd always put Justin on the more challenging games, and I had the opportunity to go back into our capture area and watch him play it as he played through the game. And that was, a, that was probably the best evangelizing that could have ever happened for this game for me was watching someone who's really good play it so I could see sort of the possibilities of the combat and uh, I remember when he got to the end of that game, he literally sat back in our capture area for a whole day trying to finish off sort of the ending of the game, um, which also ultimately ended up impacting me because I never finished this game. I played probably like eight, nine hours of it or something like that. And because I was kind of struggling at that point and I had seen what was to come based upon watching mm. Justin play, I bailed. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I know what's coming. And also, I um I remember uh, I hate the main character's face. Yeah, <laughs> like, I just didn't like looking at. Well, the I mean, the overall sort of the story and the characters in this game are not good. They're kind no. of like a Japanese person's interpretation of an American action film. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of that going around uh, in this section of the of that generation, especially from Sega. Yeah, uh, I mean, Binary Domain kind of has a similar yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a great on. example of it. And uh, I'm wondering though, Matt. God, I, I like hate the, that guy's face. I just yeah. hate looking at him. <laughs> I'll put the helmet back on. I like the helmet. I feel like a lot of people, maybe back then, like me, were turned off because of the difficulty of the game. But I'm wondering now, with sort of the advent of Dark Souls and these ultra-challenging like indie mm -hmm. games, if the audience is there now for this game. And maybe. it might actually end up doing way better than it did back when it was originally released. I think released. it'll do pretty well on PC. Um, I think the audience... Uh, is there for it? I think the audience has been waiting. Some of, there's been, there's a built-in audience that has wanted this for a long time. You know, the PC, the PC port beggars. Uh, this has definitely been one of the uh, one of the, the 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 evergreen games on their list. I think. Yeah. Um, and I mean, to Sega's credit, they're finally bringing a lot. I mean, you told me at the beginning of this year, like, yeah, we're gonna get a PC port of Bayonetta one and Vanquish by by the by E three. I'm like, real, like what? Yeah. Like, and like you're even getting a twenty five percent discount on this if you're already on Bayonetta on, on Steam. Yeah, yeah. Um, like Sega, every once in a while, Sega Sega does a good thing for everybody. Sega to me seems to be turning the corner a little bit. Uh, they just released they released its financial stuff today, and uh, I still am at a complete loss why Fantasy Star Online two hasn't come to the West. It is just making money hand over fist for Sega know. in Japan. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's like why can you not look at the success of that game there? And one, look at the success of Fantasy Star in the West in the past and not say, hey, maybe we should port this thing over. I, I'm at a complete loss for it. But Sega's financials are starting to turn around. Uh, just in time for new Sonic games to come out, I might mm. add. Which could, could be a boon to that or it could just turn yeah. it around and send it right back down the toilet. I think, I think Mania is going to do well. Yeah, um, I think it will. Forces still has the stink of the 3D. It does, it. yeah. And, uh, the fans will buy it, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm The more I see it, the less interested yeah. I am in it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's sort of the sonic cycle. I guess it, it is. <laughs> you're, you, let, you let yourself get fooled again into getting yeah. excited, and then you ultimately play the game, and you're like, eh, same old 3D Sonic. 
Yeah, it's it's um it's interesting how like Sonic fan you know the Sonic fandom is um it's a weird rabbit hole or a hedgehog hole yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, which yes that's a pun and um like it gets weird fast if you yeah. do it in a way that the Mario fandom does not yeah yeah you're right and um maybe that's sometimes I wonder maybe that's because a Mario fan pretty much always knows the next game is going to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, 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 can, they can believe in it. Whereas with Sonic, you just never you know. You really don't. What yeah. the, I mean, they, even in the main series, they change gears. They strip the gears. Like, by just like, no, now we're going to do this. Now he's got a scarf and bandages on. Now he's kissing human women. Now he, now, you know, it's, it doesn't, now he's driving a car, because why not? You know, like, I'm wondering if a lot of the changes that Sega has made to that franchise are because they are listening to that fan base because look there are like creepy like sonic fan thick things where he like is macking female heads like i don't know like if i feel like that fanfic stuff that's out there kind of strays way out of bounds of what mm. sonic well, it's, it's more visible. Was. I think it's more visible because, like, usually you don't see that that aspect of most fandoms because there's like a, a it's kind of a mainstream fan sort of buffer zone that like where people just like the games you know regularly as opposed to people that sort of devote their lives to you know shipping various characters with each other uh, in in badly drawn like marker. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this <laughs> gotta go fast, you know, and. Um, <laughs> But I feel like Sonic, the, the, there was such an exodus of people who cared about Sonic from that kind of like casual fan standpoint that all you had left was the hardcore base. Yeah. So they're the fandom now. I guess you're right. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't even know where to begin pleasing all of those people at the same time Yeah. Uh, with, with a new Sonic game. Like everybody wants something different. And some people hate all the all his friends. Some people only care about his friends and kind of like like Sonic as an excuse to see them. Wow, um, they're so bad. I don't know. I, I just <laughs> like don't. The most forgettable characters ever. But you don't remember. All due respect to the big cat. Right. Well, big is like one of the more prominent. Well, I mean, that's like shitty friend number three or yeah, something. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about like, does anyone remember like you know? the bird from Sonic the Fighters. Or yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it, there's, there's a huge, deep cast of characters that has shown up in various things, including, I mean, I guess Sonic Heroes and the racing games and and uh, uh, Knuckles Chaotix. Like, the, that's that's always, like, Sega, I love it, Sega is like, oh, we need, like, a deep cut. Like, get somebody from Knuckles Chaotix. Just, just, sh- yeah, yeah. just for, <laughs> prove that we haven't forgotten about that game. That there's like, yeah, that 32X exclusive that, like, 32 people played. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna bring the the alligator in from that, and we're yeah. gonna like get like fan fan cred for that. But um, like yeah, I I mean I guess credit to Sega for not giving up on Sonic after all these years because I feel like after two thousand six I would have thrown it in. I would have been like, it all right, clearly they... we're not equipped for this. You guys don't like it. Like no one is you know is, it's over. But no, they're still plugging away. Well, it's like great story about Peter Moore. You know, working with Sega and telling Sega that, hey, in the West, people think Sonic's a goof. And it was like your out of touch grandfather. And Yuji Naka, so, like, yeah. losing his shit and being like, and Peter, what? And Peter Moore just basically said, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he said, the, they told the translator, tell him I said, fuck off. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's like we don't have a word for that. And he's like, oh, yeah, you do. I know yeah, you do. I know you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peter Moore, um, Peter Moore is pretty awesome. He is. When, yeah. when, when when push comes to shove, Peter Moore doesn't care. He was one of the good are. ones. We, st- we are we miss him, and we're going to continue to miss him. So Vanquish, 
Do you think, though, for people who maybe are big Souls fans that pass on this, maybe they should give this another whirl? Eh, I think it's a very different kind of challenge. It's a different kind of tough, yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a reflex test rather than a, a, an endurance test. Um, but it has this, I would say it has a similar level of challenge if you want to play it right. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of systems to learn and there's a lot of nuance to pick up on and there's a lot of stuff to kind of get your head around. So if that's what appeals to you about Dark Souls, yeah, there's probably a comparison to be made there. Um, I, it's not a Dark Souls game. As you can no, already no, no, see, no. you're moving around like a crazy person yeah, in very, slow mo and everything. Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, look, it's if you're watching this footage, you've never played it, and you're like, wow, this looks pretty cool. Like, I think that's all you really need yeah. to give it a shot. Yep, it's true. And it's coming in cheap. It's not going to yeah, set not, you back a 20 time. bucks. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think most people who ended up really liking this game think that the 60 bucks was a bargain for it. Yeah. Even though it's pretty short, it's one of those, you know, it's one of those platinum games where it's like... I think it was like 13 hours or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it's like Metal Gear Revengeance yeah, uh, kind, yeah. Of, kind of length. But um, the idea is, like, you play it multiple times, and there's reasons to play it multiple times. And you get better as you play. You know, so it's, it's just like, you know, for me that just... I, I'm just looking down that long road of like, oh, I hope I can get really much better at this game that I don't have to fight against anybody else in. And I just, you know, it, I don't, I'm not a time trial person, really. Yeah. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get into this one again. Because, like, if only just to support Sega's, like, efforts to sort of bring these Platinum games to a larger audience with these, you know, pretty good quality PC ports from what we've seen. Yep. I mean, and, it's, and I appreciate also that they're, like, just saying, like, yeah, the frame rate's unlocked. The resolutions, unlocked. like you can, you know, we we made this for modern PCs. Yeah, it's a PC, Imagine it's a that. PC game. Yeah, like, yeah. So you know, so they're doing that right, and they're pricing it right, and I, you know, I I agree with the lower third. Buy this game just because it's a good game, even if I I, you know, I didn't get super deep into it, and uh, it's like nothing else. Yep. Um, still. Yeah. To, to this day, there's nothing. Maybe else there's a reason like for that, but <laughs> true. I mean, you know, there was no real incentive. Like, let's make a let's make let's make a clone of that game that didn't sell. Yeah. <laughs> um, not not a, not a phrase you hear very often, but yeah. uh, in this case, I think it's a it's a compliment that there's nothing else like it because uh, it scored well. Yeah. It I, well I, I guess sort of in a similar way to near, where it's like you're you're not going to play much else like this. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, you know, again. Uh, if that kind of thing appeals to you, and like you're, you're one of those people that's like, oh, there's no, you know, everything's the same, everything's a clone of everything else. Like, Vanquish is not a clone of anything. I mean, nope. if, visually, it's a little Halo-y. Well, um, visually, it's but, it's pretty derivative. Yeah, but <laughs> in terms of what you're actually doing in the game, yeah, uh, I can't think of a very good analog to it. Yeah, I mean, if you're a gameplay first person like me, buy it. Yeah, you won't regret it at all. Um, You'll be doing things in this game you've never done in a game before, without a doubt. And or since. Or since. Or maybe ever again. So, highly recommend it. It's on the cheap. Come, when does it come out? Did it come out already? Uh, no, it's next week. Next it's week. Tuesday. Okay. A lot of stuff on Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, I highly recommend it. And Justin Spear recommends it, too. Uh, we're going to move on. Um, as you guys probably know, MPD Group is generally the research and data group that everyone kind of points to for the games industry. The problem with MPD Group is that you literally have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get its data. Um, Nielsen is a research company that is generally more related to television. Uh, 
they're actually the standard in television ratings. Mm-hmm. It's what everyone points to on, as to whether a show is doing whatever well. Whatever that's worth. Right, yeah. Well, actually, Nielsen ratings in television have been long disputed as being. Oh, yeah. Because, and we'll get into that. It was built for a three-network world, and it just doesn't quite hold up anymore. The sample size for Nielsen TV ratings is really small. Is it 5,000 households? Maybe. I don't remember what it is. It's around there. I do know that there was a point, I think there was a point where, like, our ratings on tech TV were so low in terms of just, like, basic share of viewing audience total in the television world that it, that we would see our ratings drop by like a quarter or a third in the summer for two weeks when one of the Nielsen families that watched us went on vacation. It's true. Like yeah. it was, I mean, it was, the sample size is so... We're not so, exaggerating, no, Sam. Sam. That sam- is true. The sample size was so big in terms of like you know how many people one Nielsen family represented that you that the, the you know the, the expanded cable networks would feel it when one of these families did something else for a night yeah one of those homes I'm guessing looking back on it probably equated to about 200,000 viewers somewhere around there yeah, yeah. <laughs> which and is it, insane in a world where there's three networks yeah and everyone's watching everything live that makes sense. You know, that's all. That's kind of the only sample size you need. That is relevant data in that it is, world. Yeah. But but now at that, even back then, we were at like what two hundred stations. Yeah. On a, on a, your average cable network, and it's like you, that's you can't measure anything. I, I no. mean, there's, there were like you know startup startup networks didn't even bother paying to get Nielsen ratings because they were going to get a zero. The crazier part about it was that our networks, both at Tech TV and at G Four, and in all honesty, when I worked at Viacom would make business decisions based upon those ratings. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, a lot of Viacom channels do not get good ratings. I mean, they were right around where what we were getting in G4 and Tech TV, a lot of those, especially the shows that are on, like, late night that aren't that Mm -hmm. popular. Like, they're talking about that point one, point two, But are being watched by, like, you know, college students or, like, people that would not have a Nielsen box ever. Like, you know, demographics that are essentially, there are demographics that are essentially not represented by Nielsen because of the nature of how they give those boxes out. Yep. And uh, they would make business decisions at both the places we work together and at Viacom, business decisions based upon one dude going on vacation. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, what happened already? It's like, it's one guy. That's the the sample size. Um, But one thing I will say is that Nielsen does a pretty good job researching data for gaming. Um, it puts out an annual report every year that goes over pretty much every facet of gaming. And unlike a lot of data that you get these days, it actually does kind of incorporate the modern trends of mobile gaming and even esports this year. It's incorporated esports into its report. And so the report was released this week. A ton of interesting information. The overall report was like 25 pages. I've actually got like 11 or 12 of them here, sort of the essential uh, data points that it, that it published. And the first thing I would say before we talk about any of this data is that it was based on a poll of 2,000 people. And that's low. I mean, we were talking about Nielsen earlier about having 5,000 Nielsen families for TV ratings. Generally, how it works is you need at least 5,000 people in any survey for the results to really sort of have some some sort of... uh, Mm -hmm. Staying power. 2,000 is not bad, but you're still kind of in a statistical uh, aberration realm that 5,000 would mitigate better. The 5,000 number, how I get it, is that we would do surveys at GT all the time. Um, we had this little tab that would pop up on the long, alongside of the page, and people did it a ton of times. And what we found is that once you hit that 5,000 zenith, whatever data you had at 5,000, 
for the next twenty or thirty thousand, that data never really changed. Mm-hmm. It may go like up well, or down a tenth like, of a point. In in like you know just general survey statistics, five thousand is pretty much considered the magic number. Yeah. And so this is 2,000. So I just want you to keep that in mind before we start going through this data, that it is not 100% legit. Uh, I don't know why Nielsen doesn't talk to more people about this, but it is what it is. So let's start talking about this data because it's pretty interesting. Uh, first of all, the first thing is the of the general population age 13 and older, what percentage of people do you think play video games? Um, like the total population? Yeah. Um, like somewhere around 70%. Wow. I'm surprised you said that high. It's in 2016, it was 64%. Hmm. Um, and that is up just one percentage from both 2015 and 2014, where it held steady. Going back to 2012, it was 58%. Um, and then from 2012 to 2013, it jumped up three to 61 and it's just kind of crept up. So we're still seeing an upward trend there. Mm. Um, so well, over... as more and more people are born who never knew a world without them. Right. I think that's how that's going to continue. Yep. So in five years, basically, it went from 58% to 64%. And this is general population. This is U.S., by the way, of, of people age 13 and over. That's pretty impressive, man. I'm surprised you said 70. I mean, a lot of people play video games. Yeah. I mean, I guess mo- with mobile tossed in there, I can see that. It counts. Yeah, that's true. It does. Although some of us would like to think it doesn't. Um, some of us, some some of them would probably never want to play what we play either. Yep. Here is a statistic that's basically stayed steady for the last three years, um, and it's platform type. And I'm surprised that it stayed steady because with the rise of mobile, I kind of figured that mobile uh, might start pushing up a little bit. But mm-hmm. as it is, as it sits right now, forty six percent of gamers play console games. Mm-hmm. Uh, 38% play PC, or wait, one second, let me make sure I got this right. Oh no, this is how much people use platforms. So, mm. let's see. 40... So of your gaming time, how much time do you spend on each on one. console, on PC? Yep. So. And so for 2017, uh, 46% of gamers, these are people who have already said that they're gamers, use only one device. Hmm. So talking about the whole multi-plat, people who may buy multiple consoles, about half of most people get one platform and then they stick to it. Mm -hmm. Um, 38% have two devices, and just 16% have three or more. Um, Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it seems about right. Yeah. I mean, that's us in that 16%. Yeah, Um, it's us. I think it's most shifters as well. Yeah, I I hit the point a while ago where I kind of wish I was in the... The, the next one up because yeah. that, that Xbox One is just not doing me any good. Yeah. Um, which is weird to say because I've, I've been an Xbox fan for for a long time, but um, no, that pretty much tracks with especially you know with with what I would expect. And these figures have stayed basically the same for the last three years. There's really no mm-hmm. movement there at all. And, well, and that we'll includes see if, we'll see if the Switch can move that needle. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, So here, here's a cross-section of console players who also play games on mobile or tablet devices. Um, So in 2017, 38% of people who consider themselves console gamers do not play mobile at all. Think that's right? Uh, They'd know better than I would. I I mean... 
Or no, no, I'm sorry, that's reverse. 62% of console gamers now play on mobile as well. They do play mobile. They do play mobile. 38% don't. If you just go back to 2013... I don't know a lot of people that don't play mobile games, frankly. Even At least even if you're... At least not in the sense like, I'm going to sit down and play a game on my phone. But like everybody pulls out the phone and plays something. Well, 30, there's still almost 40% of console gamers that don't. But here is one of the, the metrics that's changed drastically. So back in 2013, it was basically split down the middle. Mm-hmm. 54% of console gamers did not play mobile gaming. So that's gone from 54% to 38% in the span of five years. Um, so you know, the concerns about mobile taking over gaming in the West, they're kind of coming true. We, always, we thought that might just be a Japan problem or define problem however you want. To me, I think it's a problem because I'd rather have more people playing console games. Um, but it appears that the trend that happened in Japan over the last decade is starting to take hold in the U.S. as well. I wouldn't worry about that until it's only playing mobile games, because that's that's where the problem in Japan happened, was people stopped playing the console games. This is for people to play both, right? That's true, yeah. I mean, I would never stop playing console games and play mobile games instead. Like, that's right. ridiculous to me. Like, But I, I, well, I, you know, I have a few games usually on my phone that I rotate in and out that I'll pop... You know, pull out when I'm waiting in line for something or whatever. That's, I mean, and to the point that I would, if I was taking that survey, I would respond that yes, I play mobile games. But they certainly do not, um, you know, they don't feed my habit in the way that you know, not my not, not to be not to be a dick about it, but real games, right? Do. Yeah. You know, <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, this is Game Face, man. You're totally <laughs> fine saying that, Matt. You're among friends here, brother. I don't think there's anyone going to jump in the comments and be like, "Mobile's awesome. You guys are crazy." Uh, and then here, so here's the next data point. I'm going to ask you what you think the, the result of this will be. What do you think the platform preference among gamers is for consoles, mobile, and PC? Splitting up 100% oh. between those three. What do you think the, the numbers are? Oh, for, is, like for people who self-identify as gamers, this is? Yeah, and um, it's their favorite, so they're only picking favorite. one. Yeah, I would say like... Fifty percent console, thirty percent PC, and the rest mobile. That's pretty good. Console forty-seven percent, hmm. PC twenty-seven percent, mobile twenty-six percent. PC wow, 26%. and mobile are pretty much even. Hmm. That's pretty crazy. There is some other data later on in this though that uh, paints a rosier picture for PC gaming though, and we'll get to that. But I was kind of surprised by that that mobile. Is as high as PC there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't say the rest of it, so that wouldn't yeah. be that much. <laughs> that would be the rest I of it. I guess I was kind of expecting, like, a I don't have a preference response in there somewhere. Or, like, yeah, I don't, maybe they just cut that data out. I don't know. Uh, here is awareness of current generation consoles um, among different groups. Um, general population, age 13 plus. These are people who do not identify as gamers. Mm-hmm. PlayStation 4 is at 69%. Xbox One at 61%, Switch at 22%. I'm surprised. So this was done before, I believe, Switch even launched. So mm-hmm. this is sort of a testament to Nintendo's marketing, pre-release marketing, I guess. Uh, which, to me, that's pretty impressive. Eh, I mean... it's 22% not, of non-gamers know what the Switch is. Yeah, I mean, they, they were advertising, I guess, well enough at that point. Uh, although some of that may be like... Uh, I know what the switch is because my sibling or my kid has bugged me about it. Yeah, you know, yeah. like that. You know, you might be dealing with people who are expected to buy a switch, but they won't be using it. If you get if you get my drift. Um, yeah, I think that number will be substantially higher by Christmas time this year. Here's something interesting: 
tied basically with PlayStation 4 Pro. Hmm. Switch is at 22%, PlayStation 4 Pro is at 21%. I haven't seen a lot of push on Pro, no. really. I mean, it's, there it's, really isn't. I'm surprised that many people actually are yeah, aware that, that, that there's a splintered version of PlayStation 4. To be 4 honest, out there. I don't know if it would occur to me to split that into a different category from PlayStation 4. Like, it seems like such a granular distinction. Well, I think Nielsen's doing a lot yeah. of this for the industry, yeah. for Sony. For... Yeah, I mean, that's something you would want to know. But it's just, well, until you said that, it didn't even occur to me that that would have been a question they asked, which probably says something about the visibility of Pro as a, as a viable platform. I mean, I own one, and I, did, I don't even think about it. It's just not on my mind. They don't, they don't talk about it. Yep. It's not part of the advertising campaign right now. Uh, where do you think Scorpio comes in? What percentage? Six percent, if they're lucky. Eleven. Yeah. Yeah. Eighteen percent of all the people polled had never heard of any of the. Wow. (laughs) How do you not hear of a PlayStation? I don't know. Well, here's here's where it gets more interesting because the next category is gamers, Um, and what percentage of these platforms have they heard of? Mm. So, what percentage of gamers thirteen and older do you think has at least heard of the PlayStation Four? How is that anything other than one hundred percent? How do you not hear about the PlayStation 4 if you're a gamer? It's 77%. Who are these people? I don't know. I don't know. It's like when like the PlayStation 2 kept selling back in the day, like, years after. I'm like, who doesn't have one of these things? Here's Who's the crazy this? part. 9% of people who call themselves gamers who are aged 13 or older said they'd never heard of any of them. So I guess then those what are, are you doing? I guess they're mobile, mobile gamers, only? mobile only, handheld only. Yeah, but even if you're handheld only, how do you not? How have you not heard about the Switch? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Or PC? I mean, P- I guess there are there PC gamers who just never hear about who live in a cave and I like guess, don't I mean, aren't exposed to any marketing or the internet or I don't know. It's really bizarre. P- I mean, even if you're a PC only gamer, how would you never hear of the PlayStation Four? <laughs> I don't like, know. It's insane. Uh, Xbox One, Xbox One S is at 72%. So they're pretty much on parity there. Uh, Switch, 29%. Of gamers? Yeah. Gamers age 13 and older. Man, it makes me really wonder when this was... I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. For it was done earlier this year. It's from this year. Wow. Yep. Um, play, then Switch, 29%. PlayStation 4 Pro, 27%. Scorpio at 14%. None of the above, 9%. I mean, Scorpio's doing okay, I guess, for something that's not really announced... Yeah. yeah. Uh, among non-gamers, the most interesting thing here is that of, among non-gamers, only 7% of people have heard of Nintendo Switch. Mm. So that may be a sign that maybe Nintendo's marketing isn't exactly... Sort of. I mean, it's certainly a sign that we are not looking at a new Wii. Yeah. Because the Wii pulled those people in. It absolutely did. Yeah. Or at least... That became part of its problem eventually. It was, yeah. Um, and, but I mean, at least... You know, there's an exposure problem to that audience. Mm-hmm. Because, and I think it goes back to what we've been saying, it hasn't been the cultural phenomenon. Right. A lot of those that... people saw, heard about the Wii because there was a news story on it yeah. or something like that. You know, it was, they, they absorbed it through, like, the mainstream media reporting on it because it was a cool visual. Yeah. Uh, and it was like, you know, it was, it was a fun little human interest story that had a good... It wasn't just people tapping on a button in front of a television. It was people swinging the, their Wiimote around, and that makes a good little human interest segment. And so, you know, the, the Switch doesn't have that. The no. Switch is just pretty normal. I mean, look, I, I, yeah, great. 
Let me I, mean, I got absolutely no problem with that. <laughs> yeah. But it's just not going to capture the non-gamer imagination or you know get through those channels. And unless it becomes like the big sought-after Cabbage Patch doll equivalent this Christmas, and then the mainstream news organizations start reporting, like, are you looking for a Switch? No one can find one. Like, yeah. if that, and then you'll hear people, non-gamers will hear about the Switch. Um, that might be, that'll probably be the best way for the Switch to just kind of get the word spread to the non-gaming population. We'll see if that happens. Yep. It probably, it probably happened. Like, I, th- I think that I think it's going to be the hot Christmas item. I think so too. Here is probably the most interesting data from this whole report: intent to purchase. Um, and I'm just going to forget like Xbox One and PlayStation Four because those numbers get skewed anyway. Because mm-hmm. the way they did it, it's like if you already own this, then indicate if you would buy another as your second console. Um, so I'm just going to with Switch, PS4 Pro, and Xbox Scorpio. Those mm-hmm. are really the competitors right now. So. Among, those, are, those are the live fish right now. Yep. So among gamers age 13 and older, for Switch, 16% of those people intend to buy it. 16. 16%. Hmm. One six. Uh, PlayStation 4 Pro, 15%. Hmm. Xbox Scorpio, 13%. So right now, among the new platforms... That surprises me that the Switch would be in that same range with those other two. Because the other two kind of feel like just sort of upgrades of something you'd already have, but the Switch doesn't... Keep in mind, the caveat that I had mentioned before is that if you already own one, please indicate if you would buy another, another one. And right. so I think you're getting some duplication here with mm-hmm. the Switch. At least I'm assuming. You know what they say about assuming. But still, 16%. Actually, all these numbers seem pretty low. Well, 16%, I mean, there's only 2 million of them out there, and then if we're limited only to the U.S., there can't be that many people in a sample size, even of this size, that already own one. Right. So, Well, this like, was also that's... done before a launch, so you're baking oh. in people who are already committed that I mean, that they're going to buy of, it. That kind of tracks with my expectations of, what, of who's interested in that system. But again, we're not going to know that. For sure, until you know the eight to ten million Nintendo faithful have their systems already, and then we either see if it continues to sell to people outside that demographic, or if it just sort of dries up like the Wii U did. That thirteen percent for Scorpio is really, really glaring to me. Yeah, because look, PlayStation Four Pro, I get it, not a lot. Of, it, it plays the same games, mm-hmm. and you know, granted, you get probably faster frame rates, you get HDR, a couple other things on PlayStation Four Pro checkerboard 4k with scorpio it really is like the next generation of Mm. xbox yeah but that's the kind of the problem in that it's xbox and uh if you care about that kind of performance most i think a a huge chunk of the audience that does care about that kind of performance and that resolution we have pcs that do that yeah if you have a pc that does that you can already play everything on that xbox and that scorpio without having an xbox because it's all cross buy so, like, I just, I, it doesn't surprise me, because, look, if, I, if you're polling me on this poll, that's, the Scorpio would be the first system since the Jaguar that I would have responded, no, I'm not planning to buy that on. You're not planning on buying Scorpio? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, really? unless there's something to it that I really don't know about yet that, like, makes me go, oh, yeah, I do need that. Like I said, like, if the, you know, the, the, the backwards compatibility for 360 games is really good and improves them, I might look at it. But, like, right now, if you're talking about what you usually buy a game system for, which is the exclusive stuff you can only play on that system... Um, I have a PC that can do that already. Yeah. Like, there's no reason for me to buy that console right now. 
13%, that's got to be really discouraging to Microsoft. And I don't think it's any secret to Microsoft. I'm sure it has its own internal mm. data that it's been looking at. But man, when you're on the verge of unleashing this, what is essentially your next-gen machine that you have dumped a ton of R&D into, and it's mm. probably going to come in at a much higher price point than the other competitors to see... People assuming they're probably going to come in at the same price. Only 13% of those people intend on buying it. That's not a good look, Matt. No, I mean, I think, um, I mean, if I'm Microsoft, maybe I'm consoling myself with the idea that maybe that number could change after we actually reveal it at E3, you know. Because certainly that's where I'm it right now. It puts a lot of emphasis on it, knocking it out of the park at E3. Oh, yeah. Like, and, 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 you know, certainly I'm right now in the boat of, like, I have no plans to really buy that system. Uh, but if they have some stuff that that system does or, or available for that system that I don't know about, that they suddenly unveil E3 and like, oh, there's all, and like, I'm like, I'm certainly willing to be pushed into the I'll think about it camp. Yeah. But uh, that's not happening yet. So, you know, be interesting to see, see these, like a similar survey, you know, after E3, I guess. Yeah. Of, of gamers. And I don't think you're going to move the needle on non-gamers. Nope. Obviously. They won't even know what's going on. Right. Here's a really interesting... This whole thing is just gold, by the way. I, I've cherry-picked a lot of the data points in here because I don't... Obviously, the show would be four hours long if I went over all of them. Here's one of the most interesting ones to me, and I think most people probably want to know about it as well, is physical versus digital. I think EA said this week in its financial uh, report that it believes for 2017, 40% of mm -hmm. all its revenue is going to come from digital. Um, but what do the gamers think? And this is, again, gamers 13 years and older... Which do you think, well, this is a really an easy question to answer. Which do you think likes digital more, PC gamers or console gamers? PC. Yeah, and it does, by like a freaking landslide. So the I can't remember the last physical PC game I bought. The crazy thing is that they're a total flip-flop, pretty much. So on consoles, 69% of console players, age 13 and older, prefer retail. 31% mm -hmm. prefer digital. On PC, this is crazy... 75% prefer digital, 25% prefer physical. Maybe not all that crazy because you can't even really buy physical PC yeah. games anymore. Actually, I do remember the last physical PC game I bought. It was the collector's edition of Witcher 3. Oh, really? But that was because it was the Witcher 3, not yeah. because I buy physical PC games. So you can see the influence of Steam there. 75% oh, yeah. of PC players are just like, I'm totally fine just downloading stuff. Well, that's the thing about like the, the, you know, the, the, the question of the digital console future. It's like, PC's already there. It is, like, yeah. I've, I have you know, tons of digital games that like, I have no equivalent for in, you know, on a disc or anything. And no one th really bo it doesn't bother anybody. Yeah. You know? Are you surprised think... how high the number was for retail? No. Physical? Or on PC? On consoles? On console? No. Really? Um, 70%? Uh, not really. 69 because, but... Because I think the uh, the used game market and the ability to trade your games in is still a major factor in that realm. Whereas PC has sort of embraced, like, the flash sale and the, and the, and the quick discount. So, like, I feel like P all digital PC market has sort of moved into this realm of, like, well, we're going to make it as painless as possible for you to kind of... Uh, buy these things at a decent price, and now we're getting the refund systems that are popping in with Steam and 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 various uh, other uh, digital storefronts. Um, so I think they've mitigated the the risk people feel on that. Whereas like console games are so kind of rooted in that market of that kind of pawn shop mentality of like you can buy this thing and then trade it in for pretty close to what you paid for it, and then use that to get another game. And like you only really, I mean, you know. I, you're spending twenty bucks to spend play. Spend twenty a game. bucks to play a game is almost like yeah. a like a like a expensive red box yeah. in a way. It's like a library kind um, of yeah. 
And the secondhand market kind of, you know, you know, there's that whole there's a whole uh, audience that follows the previous generation. Once the used game sales uh, prices come down enough uh, that they become affordable to that audience, so I think um, you know there's there's an entire ecosystem in the console realm that just doesn't exist for the PC version, PC realm, and hasn't. You know, never. I mean, you know, I don't ever recall going into like a GameStop or an you know EBX or whatever or Babbage's and looking for used PC. Babbage's. Games. I can't believe you just mentioned uh, Babbage's. Yeah. <laughs> That's some old school for you. <laughs> Shit, the software, etc. there, son. <laughs> yeah. Um, they were all over Philadelphia, software, etc. and then GameStop bought them. Yep. And, and then they slowly just absorbed, absorbed it. Like it. Amoeba. You got rid of it, yeah. Um, I, I'm shocked. Like, I honestly thought it would be uh, for console gamers, 60-40. 60% physical, 40% digital. That would fall in line with EA's number as well. Um, I'm surprised to see set the 70-30 split. Are I'm you, a little surprised it's not higher. Really? Because these I, anecdotally, I think, I think, it I, seems like 50-50 to me. Like, if you just go online and read forums and just sort of observe. Yeah, well, forums aren't really data. Yeah. Um, I mean, then, the forums are the, and the cool. console. Well, yeah, but the, also the console market is way bigger than what we see people on forums, you know? Like, oh, there's, sure. There's tons of people that play console games that have never even thought about posting on a game forum. But that's what I'm saying. It appears to me that the more casual players care more about physical than the core players do. I think that's true. Really? I'm surprised to hear that. I would think the casual folks would be the ones that would be just like, I don't care. I don't want this junk sitting around. I just want to be able to play the game. No, because they don't keep that junk very long, for the most part. Uh, like, I guess you're right. Like, I mean, I mean, I worked in in a used game store long enough that, like, you know, and we dealt with. Uh, it was not in a great part of town, and we dealt with low income families as well as gamer, like, kind of first day release day people. And I kind of got to know those two different audiences and and sort of everything in between. And uh, you know, there were certainly guys who were, you know, they weren't hardcore. They didn't want to hang out and talk about specific, you know, detailed soul caliber strategies. They didn't, you know, they knew vaguely what stuff was coming out. Like, but they were basically just like, I play games to get stoned and hang out. And they bought a game, uh, you know, when it came out or in the month it came out, and they would be back in a week to trade it back in and get something else. They never, they didn't have a collection. They had like. You know, they had like four spaces on their shelf for for various games that they were all playing at whatever one time, and they went through a rotation. All you know, they're not like us where you know I, I have hundreds and hundreds of games. You know, I have, I have a, a collection of games. It's, it's yeah. a library, yeah. and you know, there's a huge uh, you know audience of console gamers that it would never occur to them to do that. You know, or even you know people talk about it's like oh I, I remember some of those guys would be like oh you keep your games? I'm like yeah I have all the time. You put them on shelves so like people can see them when they come over. Like yeah. you, you, like you can so like people come over and they're like, "You have video games on a shelf." I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah," and they're like, "Like it was an alien idea to them." Like, it's like yeah. they weren't something you kept or, or loved or, or just or disposable. It was just like it was yeah. like a magazine, right? You know, a very expensive Here magazine that you brought tomorrow. back to the store later. Yeah, you know, yeah. like that's what it was, and that's a. I mean, that is a, a retail loop that has existed for a long, long time, uh, you know, and certainly became more prominent once rental stores went out of, you know, out of the picture, although Redbox is obviously still a thing. But once you can no longer rent your Nintendo games at Blockbuster, uh, the idea of being able to trade them in became even more important because there's no other way to try them. So it doesn't surprise me that that ecosystem is still pretty much defining the console market. That, that's that's going to be true still for a long time. Okay, time for another quiz. Okay, of 100% of a gamer age 13 and over, over's time, what percentage do you think they spend playing games, and what percentage do you think they spend actually out in the real world, disconnected and actually interfacing with other human beings? Um, 
So this is games. This is free time. Oh, wait, not free work. Time. Work does not count okay. as part of their time. So how much of people. your free time are you spending playing games versus doing anything else? Well, no. Or, or playing it. games versus disconnecting. Like, not watching like, no. a movie, oh, like, not watching TV shows, like not camping. reading, not listening to music, <laughs> just interacting with other human beings. Oh. I mean, I'm, I feel like that's going to be pretty high in favor of gaming. Like, okay. 60-ish percent? You think they spend 60% of their free time playing games? As opposed to time not plugged into anything? No, no, no. You're not trying to come up with 100% total. Okay. Just... The oh, time spent, like, what percentage of their time do they spend playing games? What percentage of their time do they spend actually interfacing with other people? Oh, okay. Without any kind of electronic right. thing. Um, I would say like 30% gaming and like 15% no plu- like unplugged. You nailed the unplugged. Literally 15% hmm. right on the money. However, you got gaming way wrong. 12%. Of their free time, they spend actually playing video games. They've also rolled e- watching esports into that as well. That's I, that seems that's really actually, low. It seems low, but it also like kind of it's, it seems kind of hopeful. I don't, I don't know, like, <laughs> it's just a, it's like that cloudy day. And there's that one little ray of sunshine that pokes through. Man, I was surprised by that. Honestly, I really thought I, I, I'm probably with you, except I would have said social activities way lower. Like, yeah. I really would have thought it had been like five Well, to well I'm also trying to think of the last time I did anything that wasn't related to some kind of media right. with any of my friends. And I'm like... Mm, Where you went out to dinner. Like, dinner or, like, or a bar, I guess. Yeah. Like that. But that's like... Usually that's like in preparation for doing something else that involves exactly. media. Yeah, I yeah. It's like, I guess... I mean, that's what the world is now. Like... Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised that number is that high. 15%. I wonder, too, if like some of the people who answer this are embarrassed to really... Tell the truth. If who wants to sit there and be like, I think I spend 2% of my free time with other human beings. <laughs> like, it's just like I spend a lot of my time with other human beings doing something media related. Right, that's, right. I mean, that's Going the, to a movie or yeah. playing games playing together. together or or watching, watching something or, yeah, or yeah. whatever. You know. Really interesting, I think. Um, and that 12% has been pretty much the same for the last five years. 2012, it was 10% playing games. 11, 12, 11, 11, 12. So that's pretty, stayed pretty steady over the last five years of the study. Uh, just a couple more here. Um, claimed weekly gaming time by device. Um, so this is where people say, well, how much time do I have in a week? And how much time, uh, how much, what percentage of that do I spend on this device playing games? Uh, which platform do you think will be most popular with that? I would say probably console. It's PC. Oh, yeah. PC is most popular. So basically what this is saying is that PC gamers are the hardest core of gamers. Mm. As far as dedicating the biggest percentage of their time to playing video games. The free time that they have. Mm. Uh, 26%. PlayStation 4 at 14. I guess maybe if you add up consoles all together, yeah. Yeah. Because PlayStation 4 is at 14, Xbox One at 13. Yeah, if we were break, I, if I knew it was broken down by like, actual individual system, I would have said PC. Yeah. Um, yeah, because if you add up just PS4 and Xbox One, you're at 27% already. And you start talking about mobile and iPhone and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But uh, as a single platform, PC is uh, the single device gamers spend the most time playing on. Ahead of most major, of major consoles and smartphones. Uh, let's see what else I got. Uh, here's an interesting one. 
seventh generation consoles versus eight. This report is fascinating, by the way. <laughs> like uh, seventh generation consoles versus eighth generation consoles. Um, this is a split between using your consoles for gaming and non-gaming. So playing games mm. versus using it for Netflix or whatever else you use it for. Uh, what do you think the split is? Um, for mm. Xbox One and PlayStation Four. Xbox One and PlayStation. Um, you know, I'm I'm gonna say like sixty forty in favor of non-gaming. It's actually split basically right down the middle. Hmm. Um, unless you talk about Nintendo, and with Nintendo, <laughs> with Nintendo, it's gaming sixty, right. other stuff forty, which makes sense because Nintendo's ecosystem generally doesn't have as many alternative things to spend your time on. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, Certainly not anymore. With Xbox and PlayStation, it is pretty much split right down the middle. Hmm. Xbox One is exactly fifty fifty. PlayStation Four is forty eight percent gaming, fifty two percent non gaming. Um, so I think that lends some credence to why these consoles are becoming Swiss Army knives of mm-hmm. entertainment, essentially. Uh, something Nintendo is dragging its feet in doing is definitely dragging its feet with uh, the Switch, not having any sort of uh, cultural apps available at its launch. Um, and here's probably, I think, the last one we're going to talk about. Yep, this is the last one. Video game purchase influencers. What do you think influences someone to buy a game more than anything? Um, I would say friends' opinions. Nope. No? It's the game's genre. Really? Yep. The genre of the game. What do you think might be second? Graphics? It is. Yep. Graphics is second. Um, Third is storyline. Hmm. Right below graphics. Um, 30% only say I, games that I played uh, as a demo or a free trial. Hmm. So it doesn't look as if like all these alphas and betas are ha- maybe having as big an impact as you might think. Uh, and then 24% say I just wait for all games to be discounted. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are the PC gamers. Yeah. <laughs> I know you. Yeah. So that's it. Uh, you can find this full report on Sifted, by the way. If you want to find it easily, just Google Nielsen. You can see how it's spelled right there in the graphic. Um, and there's a PDF that'll take you to the full report, which is like literally like 30 or 40 pages long. Uh, we just want to kind of hit some of the fun ones there. Of everything that we just talked about, Matt, what kind of stands out the most to you? Um, I think the thing that stands out the most is kind of the... the I'm still... A, a little b- baffled by the whole only 77% of self-identified gamers have heard of the P- PS4. Yeah. Like, it makes me wonder if they worded the question weird or something. Yeah. Like, I, that is, I just... I can't, how is it not 100? Like, how do you not know... I mean, Even what, if you haven't not heard... heard of it? Right. Like, it's one thing. It's like, I've never played it. I've right. never tried it. I will never, never buy it. I've never seen it with I've my own eyes. But it's like, never heard of it? I mean, even if you just... If you know that the PlayStation 3 exists, you could just... Extrapolate. extrapolate this somewhere out there. But uh, this is some of the best data I've seen about gaming yeah. in a really long time. Um, and so I wanted to take the time to really kind of go point by point. Uh, we talk about stuff like this, and I feel like a lot of times we make assumptions about this data. I know I do personally. I'm totally guilty of it. Uh, I use a lot of anecdotal evidence to say, well, I think, you know, probably based upon what I know, what I've seen, that this is what's true. But it's great to get some hard data 
Uh, this will help us with our discussions going forward as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll probably keep this underneath the table for reference for future discussions. As and I know well, there's so. no, you know, there's probably no data for back then, but I'd love to see that percentage of people who are gamers from like 1989, right, or something, and see how much it's gone up since then. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just astronomical. I mean, certainly uh, there were there. I would, you know, at least probably the majority of my life, we were not the majority. Oh no, we were the freaking shut-ins, the nerds, <laughs> the outcasts. And now... I just really like to know when it crossed that 50%. 64% of gamers, people. 64%. So... I just love to know when it crossed that 50%. That 50, threshold. yeah. As people keep dying, it's just going to keep going up. Partly that, but I also <laughs> think it's like, you know, games became more accessible and, and less uh, annoying. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, look, it, I, I've been on a little bit of a retro kick because of all those old gaming magazines I bought, and I've... Went to play all those old CinemaWare games. So it was, it was all those Amiga and Atari ST games I never played, but I drooled over in magazines forever. I've never yeah. even seen an Atari ST. Like yeah. I got, like I, it was just not a not a, a machine I ever encountered. I've never seen one. I didn't realize I hadn't played a bunch of them. So I went and played like a CinemaWare, CinemaWare collection on Steam and all these things. And like, those games are terrible. Yeah. Like, 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 <laughs> like, one of the reasons I'm sure, like, gaming took a long time to catch on in that regard was because you had to have this, like, weird obsessive patience to sit here and figure out how why Rocket Ranger was killing you every five seconds. And I'm like, I'm like, look, I and I'm playing it, and I'm like, look, I get it. If I was a, When I was a kid, I would have sat there and played this for obsessively for hours until I figured out how to do it right. Yeah. But most people would have just been like, screw this, I'm going yeah, yeah. to go rollerblade or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's like, you know, <laughs> rollerblade. It's, it's just a different world. Whereas like, you know, something like a cinematic sort of accessible game like Halo, you're, like, you're just like, yeah, I get it. It's good. It's ready. For, it's ready. It's there to have fun with you. you there know? are so many reasons why it's gone up. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's accessibility. There's so many platforms now. You can play games on like anything. Right. Like that's a big part of it. Uh, another big part of it is how it's expanded to have content that appeals to everybody. Um, I mean, even if you look at, like, Pactor and his wife mm. and how they have this friendly rivalry with, like, all these mobile games that they... And it's like I go over there to shoot and they're, like, talking smack to each other hmm. about, like, all these mobile games. I don't even know what they are. But his wife knows them and knows them very well. And so I think you're starting to see the changes in accessibility, the type of content that you're getting, um, the diversity mm -hmm. in genres. You're seeing genres merging and turning into like and apparently one genre whole. is the most important thing. There you go. So I think that's also why you're seeing action RPGs becoming the most popular mm -hmm. genre in the industry is because genre is most important to them. One and two, action RPGs kind of bring everything, everything together, together yeah. into one game, and so there's a little bit of something there for pretty much everybody. So. Fascinating data. I could probably spend hours talking about that stuff, but uh, unfortunately, we have a show to run and we got to move on. So, next we're going to talk about Far Cry 5. Rumors swirling around this week that. Uh, so, what happened is, I remember a couple months ago, I was curating, and there was this whole rush of stories from all the sites saying that uh, they were filming something related to Red Dead Redemption in Montana. They didn't know if it was like a trailer or something a live action they didn't know what it was um as it turns out what they were shooting i didn't i did not curate that story because it just seemed too far-fetched it's basically just people guessing mm -hmm. and so i didn't curate it just left it off the site well then this week as it turns out that was actually not for red dead redemption it was for a new far cry game um so people are basically looking at that and extrapolating oh they're out in what looks like the Old West. The new Far Cry must take place in the Old West. Um, with games like Red Dead Redemption 
and a brand new game that was just announced yesterday called Wild West Online, mm. which a screenshot this week leaked of. Right. And a lot of people jumped to the conclusion that it was a new Red Dead Redemption screenshot. It actually turned out that it was a screenshot for this Old West MMO. Uh, do you think... Th- <laughs> Do you think there's too much of the Old West coming at this point, Matt? Well, I don't think three games is too much, but um, it is interesting that it's all kind of hitting at the same time. Yeah. Um, although I wonder how many... I, I know those the, the the Wild West Online guys were kind of like, we loved Red Dead Redemption. We're no, tired, they blatantly said... We're tired said, of waiting, yeah. basically. And I'm like, I also wonder, too, if they weren't the ones who took their cell phone camera... Zoomed way in on that screenshot of their game, took the picture, and then fed it to somebody. It'd be pretty smart. It would be genius. Because look, you look at that shot, and it's like, I mean, I didn't look. I mean, I didn't think it was because Rockstar doesn't usually leak. Yeah. But like, it sure looked like it could be. I don't know if you remember, though. I think it was Grand Theft Auto 4 or Grand Theft Auto 5. One of them. There was gameplay that leaked out way before it was ever announced. They made the mistake of showing gameplay to their investors at this private event, and somebody pulled out their crappy little like Blackberry camera and like recorded the whole thing. Mm, and it actually yeah, did. That. You remember that? Yeah. It did get out. So Rockstar is completely immune to that. That man is now dead. I am sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so it's not completely immune to leaks. I. I think I wrote in the for the blurb for that that piece of content is like you decide. Like yeah. I really have no opinion on whether this is real or not. I mean, it looked plausible, yeah. but like it was just it was really well. The fact that it was all red. zoomed in and blurry, it helped sell it a little yeah. bit. And so, if the developers behind Old West Online, that was their plan. Great job, kudos. Yeah. Because now I've heard of you, right? Because then, like the next day, they give the exclusive to PC gamer to officially announce their game. Um, and so if that was a marketing strategy, really brilliant. Hopefully that's not something that people keep trying to duplicate, though, over the next, like, two years. Because it could get really annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for a first time, pretty pretty smart. Um, you don't think that there's a, a certain quota that players are willing to accept with an Old West-styled game? I mean, it's not. It's like you said, it's not the most prevalent genre in the industry. It's mm-hmm. like, I feel like since we got the last Red Dead, there's been, like, maybe one... Well, that's kind of the thing, is, is it's not a genre, it's a setting. You're right. It's a story genre, yeah, yeah. obviously. But um, Red Dead, you know, look at, we got an MMO, we got Red Dead Redemption 2, and we got Far Cry 5, Five or whatever you want to call it. Um, those are three very different games. Maybe they're all set in the same location, same, you know, vague... Would Far Cry and GTA be all that? I mean, look, Far Cry's a shooter, yes. a first-person shooter, but... I mean, I would I would say they're very different. I mean, just just in the sense that like one's first person, one you know, Far Cry is very much uh, kind of a fast action open world sort of, you know, kill a bunch of animals to make a bunch of bags, uh, you know, do whatever you want and run around thing. Whereas uh, you know, Rockstar stuff tends to be more story focused. And let's be honest, I mean, Far Cry is pretty story focused at this point. I don't know. Like there's you know there's a there's the little like kind of story missions you run into but for the most part it's like here's a bunch of stuff on a map go crazy whereas Rockstar's games tend to be a more directed experience and also like you know they're third person games and they're if we're being honest kind of clunky in terms of controls like I know there's a lot of people that are hoping You're talking that about Red Dead? Red Dead. They're kind of hoping that like you know Rockstar finally drops the whole tap A repeatedly to sprint thing. Right. I don't think they will cuz I really? know I know firsthand that they think that's awesome and that's like their really? that's like their trademark at least that what they're saying back like around GTA 5. That's not worth trademarking. Uh, no. <laughs> but I know for a fact that they were thinking oh people would ask, like they would ask them that about are, oh, are you going to switch to like a toggle or whatever or hold the button or whatever. Yeah. 
and they'll be like, no, people associate the tapping A to, to sprint. We, we feel that that's... That's so annoying. Like, they're like, we they basically feel like that is more, uh, more like sprinting, I yeah. guess. Like, having to actively pump your f- thumb the same way you have to pump your feet or something. Yeah. Um, so I would not expect that to change if, unless Rockstar has really made a 180 on that internally. Um, but like, you know, to me, Rockstar games always control well enough. Um, yeah, yeah. And I would never... never the best. Like when you, when you like... When <laughs> like you that's ex- one part of their games that are, it's never the best. Yeah. And it's just like, I would never think, you know, gameplay wise to compare my experience playing Red, Red Dead Redemption or Grand Theft Auto V with Far Cry. Those are just two different, very different games to me. Yeah. Um, and so I wouldn't find. I honestly, I, I, I disagree better. with that. I think that they're very similar games, particularly with the lat. Not when Far Cry first started, but Far Cry Four especially. Primal, I'd agree, was more of like an exploration type of game. But Far Cry Four, I mean, it was pretty much all plot driven. You you must have done way less side stuff than I Not did. Really? I, cu- I couldn't even tell you what the plot of Four was really? beyond like the and very. Three very basic stuff. I mean, there was a story, but it wasn't like standing around watching like highly directed movie cutscenes like Red Dead. Oh, was. there definitely are. Yeah. Not in Primal, but the two games prior, yeah, for sure. There's every a lot like of every like 6 or 7 hours maybe. Like it's it's not the focus of those games at all. I mean, I played Far Cry 3 twice and just it, the story is not an important thing in in that experience. To well, me. they're bad. Well, yeah, the part. but like <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't help it resonate with the player. But it's just like sure. I don't play these games for the story. I play them to like blow stuff up and you know experience the open world and the locations and all that stuff. Whereas like I'm playing Red Dead Redemption because I like John Marston. Yeah, as a character. Like, oh, look, there's a, no denying that the characters and the story. The, char- the characters in Red Dead Redemption. The only reason I put up with the gameplay. I yeah. Put it that way. <laughs> I would agree the gameplay in Far Cry is, uh, at least so far, has been vastly superior to Red Dead and pretty mm-hmm. much all Rockstar's games for that matter. Do you think that uh, the Old West is becoming the next World War II? Uh, not yet, but like I could see that kind of becoming a thing if Westworld continues to sort of define That's a good point, yeah. popular culture in, in the way that like Game of Thrones did as yeah. that winds down. Because that does seem to, it is, seems to me, is becoming the next... Had a big Game impact, of yeah. Because and Game of Thrones is pretty much over at this point. Got 13 episodes left. Yeah, which, I two seasons. which crushes my heart. I can't believe there's only 13 and the next, episodes uh, left. The se- next season of Westworld, I think they said, is not. they don't expect to have it ready until uh, 2019. 2019? Beginning of, oh, not next wow. year, but the year out. I think oh, they're, I thought I think it was next taking, year. I think they're taking all next year to make the next season, if I remember Whoa. correctly. Oh, that's rough. I didn't know that. I thought it was coming next so year. So that'll be, a, season two of Westworld will, will pop up right around the time Game of Thrones is about to end. Um, which gives well, in it, that case gives it kind of critical mass moment to sort of the baton maybe gets passed in terms of sort of you know paid cable yeah high, high <laughs> sci-fi fantasy stuff yeah you know? big budget stuff too um, so that'll be uh, an interesting uh, but in that if that's if, the case then the they're actually kind of missing the the window here they're kind of the stopgap I guess between seasons yeah but I world. think it's but I think it's also a um, like just a sign of the times in some way that like you know the, the you know everything goes in cycles and the westerns come back and let's not forget you know we're we're kind of in a in a period of like of political upheaval and 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 gray areas and what's this and what's real and what's true and the last time we had like a situation like that in in kind of world politics and world news we got Star Wars yeah you're right which is a western <laughs> I know it is you yeah. know and and yeah. like you know, you just sometimes you just want the good and the bad and the ugly. 
yeah. and to know who is each one of those things and do it. Yeah. And you know, the old West kind of gives you that mythic location to do that in, and that's also what Westworld plays on is by not giving you that straight, by giving it to you straight in some ways, but also pulling it back and examining it in a weird meta way. And I can certainly see. Uh, Far Cry doing something like that because Far Cry sort of has... I mean, Far, Far Cry Primal is played pretty straight, but 3 and 4, like the numbered games from 3 on, have, and actually 2 to some degree, have really sort of played with the idea of perception reality. And like I can definitely see... Uh, Ubisoft also moves fast enough that this could be influenced by Westworld. For sure. Do you think... I, look, I don't think anything's going to affect the sales of Red Dead Redemption 2. I don't think anyone can no. do any... It's going to sell through the through the roof, no matter what. Yeah. But do you think that Red Dead 2 could ultimately hurt the sales of Far Cry 5? No, because... If people are like, I've been there, I've done that, I no, just because spent 60 hours in the Old West. No, because I think Far Cry 5 is going to come out months before Red Dead Redemption You think so? I don't... Th- well, again, as when someone asked me in the comments, I think, about... Uh, oh, you screwed up because you didn't pick Red Dead Redemption 2 for your uh, fantasy team. I said, I'll get it next year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll believe that's coming out this year when it's in my hand. I'll say this. Patrick or makes... when, they, when they give a date. When, when Rockstar gives an actual day, they tend to hit that. Well, they did give the year. They give the year, but year doesn't mean anything. I don't know. If you talk to Pactor, one thing I'll say about Pactor is he has like a photographic memory. He mm. remembers everything. It's almost mind-boggling to me that he is so sharp in that way. But... If you watch the, I think it was the latest Pactor Factor, maybe the one last week, where he talks about how Rockstar will just won't announce release dates. Mm-hmm. And, you know, games will, like, Max Payne 3 was in development for, like, 11 years. It confirmed it was working on it over and over and over again, would never announce a release date. Finally says, it's coming out next year, it came out the next year. Mm-hmm. Same with the Grand Theft Auto franchise. Like, once it says the year it's coming out in, it never delays it out of that year. And then it waits until it knows a specific date to actually nail down the date. And Pactor says that the reason that is, is because it takes seven years to make the game. Uh-huh. And so they have a very strong grasp on, okay, we have this much left. We know exactly how long that's going to take because we've been working on this damn thing for like seven years. And uh, so I honestly, based upon talking to Pactor, both what he said on camera and talking to him off camera, I think it is going to make it this year. I'll um, believe it when they give a day. Yeah, like the which year- we're not going to get at E3 because they don't No, participate. they don't do that. Um, so when they give an actual date, they will make that date. I'm 100% sure they'll do that. Yeah. But until they give me an actual day, I'm, I'm certainly not enough to put it on the draft. I mean, look, I didn't draft it either. Yeah. But I think if I had had this conversation that I just had with Pactor last year, I probably would have drafted mm-hmm. it. I just, uh, we'll see. But like I don't, I don't think uh, that's going to really impact too much. Also, um, we'll see if the Wild West uh, setting draws any attention in the first place because you know it's not like Ubisoft hasn't done stuff like this before. I mean, we had Call uh, or uh, Call of Juarez, yeah, uh, which you know was a very kind of a B lister. Yeah, I would say Gunsling- back when there were B games, right? Gunslinger actually was a, actually I thought was a pretty damn interesting take on on both the the first person western kind of genre i don't know if anybody remembers that i think it was the third one or the last one they did um and the thing was like you played like a famous gunslinger who walks into a bar and starts telling stories about 
because because there's all these like dime store novels based on you, and everybody in the bar wants to hear about the real stories. So you're telling these stories, and like people in the bar narrating will like jump in and say, "Oh, then you did all this, and you'll have like this crazy boss fight." And then like the guy will actually say, "Well, no," and they will rewind. We rewind the whole thing. And be like, we just talked about it, and then I killed him, and then I went home. Like, it was, yeah. it was like, and it kind of played with the idea of sort of the legend of the old west and. And um, and how you know it was built up into these crazy mythic things. In reality, it was like you were more likely to die of dysentery, like by a hundred times, factor oh, by a yeah. hundred, than like to actually get shot by anybody. Yeah, uh, it was. So I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see if because certainly there's been periods where like you know famously you had like westerns die in the in the movies in our lifetime. Uh, where they used to be the biggest genre around, and yeah. then it, you got to I a point. I was named after a Western. My Shane. name, Shane, is from the Cowboy Come back, Shane. Shane. Yeah, exactly. And uh, They used to be huge in the oh, 70s, yeah. man. They were, like, the biggest genre in film. Oh, my dad was I mean, d- dedicated Western fan through the 50s, and, and John Ford, and I mean, that's where Star Wars comes from. Yeah. Some, you know, tons of shots ripped off from The Searchers. Most of the, his his, his uh, movie memorabilia collection, which is in my living room now, is like all Western uh, posters and you know he loved westerns. It was yeah. it was it was the comic book superhero movies of it, it of, really of was. its day. Yeah, you're right. Um, but they went away and uh, in part killed off by you know ex- you know kind of a lack of interest in that sort of thing and Star Wars sort of taking the idea and turning it into a space fantasy thing. Well, I think what and happened Heaven, is it... Heaven's Gate didn't help. Look up Heaven's Gate <laughs> yeah. if you've never heard of that story. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, visual effects helped usher it on because it finally yeah. got to the point where you could do a sci-fi movie and it looked at least vaguely right. believable. Well, also you uh, and you hit a point where like the western was such a well-trod yeah. genre that you you really only had room for sort of like deconstructions of it, like yeah, un- right. Unforgiven, yeah, or uh, or kind of a historical angle, which is like Dances with Wolves, like you right. had that '90s era where like people t- or Tombstone, which is more of an action movie that happened to be set there with, or with the a knowing wink, stuff like Blazing Saddles. Well, that was earlier. <laughs> Um, but now I think, uh, you know, and you, you know, Westerns have kind of become art films now. They have, you know? yeah. Like Assassination yeah. of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, uh, yeah. No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Which Great. would be my pick for probably the Maybe best the movie. Best of, best, ever. Best movie of, uh, certainly the, uh, the aughts. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, might be my favorite movie of the aughts. It's great, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, 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 I've always kind of been waiting for, for games to sort of try to take that on. And, like, Red Dead Redemption did that and I think did an admirable job of it. Um, and two, I'm sure we'll do, do it better. Uh, but like, you know, I'd like to see some other takes on it. I, one of my favorite games growing up was a Western game called Law of the West on Apple IIe. I never played that. Uh, it was all, it was not first person. It was like first hip person shooter. So, so you saw their hip and the gun. Yeah, the screen. Yeah, the screen was like your character was on the side with a gun and a hand and people would walk out and you'd have to pick dialogue to talk to them. And sometimes you can make friends with everybody, or you can make enemies with everybody. And if it, you know, if stuff went bad, you'd see them kind of go for the gun, and then you had to push up on the joystick and pull the gun, and then you had to aim it and shoot them. And if you got shot, like um, you'd have to go to the doctor, and you could take a couple, and the doctor would patch you up. But if you pissed the doctor off earlier in the game, he wouldn't patch you up, <laughs> or he'd be too drunk because you didn't talk him out of drinking all the time. It was like it was like a it was like uh, Mass Effect meets like a light gun. Game. It sounds like the first M-rated game ever, is what it sounds um, like. <laughs> there, there was some racy stuff in the uh, in when you talk to the town hooker. That's for sure. Um, certainly, uh, just talk about being drunk. Like that wasn't really something that was a part about of games for a long time. Well, I mean, there was a lot of alcohol use in some of the games I played on the two E because in the in the eighties, 
no one was paying attention yet. Yeah, you're you know, right. Mortal Kombat. No Mortal Kombat. Yeah, Mortal Kombat Night Trap hadn't happened yet. Yeah. No one knew what we were doing. Yep. <laughs> I, look, I'm all for more games set in the Old West. I'm just wondering if the average consumer, the average player, might burn out on them a little bit. Um, I, don't, I think it takes more than two games in very different genres to burn out. And yeah. the, I mean, I think you know, no offense to the MMO guys, but I don't think that game's even a factor. Yeah. So. I, it could be. Maybe on PC with a certain audience. I don't think that's a console game. So. No, it's not. It's only for a PC. So. But it could maybe... I'm not worried about genre burnout from a PC-only MMO. Like, that's just yeah. not going to... You know, like, it's like Secret World isn't going to stop anybody from making Lovecraft games. Nope. You're absolutely right. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about a new Need for Speed. This isn't conjecture, or this isn't people piecing together a shoot that happened out in Montana. This was announced officially by Electronic Arts. It is making another Need for Speed, Matt. Both of us were pretty sour on the last one. This is EA Montreal, or BioWare Montreal's punishment. They have to, yeah. make, they have to make a Need for Speed game. <laughs> uh, both of us were pretty down on the last Need for Speed. Mm. Uh, the guy who, several, really. Yeah, the guy who did the eval for us liked it more than I did, um, which is fine. Uh, he appreciated some of the parts of it that I didn't appreciate as much. Last game was always online, always at night, mm-hmm. no daytime races at all. No real cop chases. EA has only released limited information about it so far, but everything that it's announced so far has basically been what people are asking for. Uh, Mm. Day and night races, cop chases. So was the last one based on the movie? Or was it related to the movie? No. Remember it had like all that FMV stuff? This is actually most wanted here that we're seeing. Okay. Um, And then last year's game was just called Need for Speed. Remember it was all... Right. It was always at night. uh, And there was those like real campy, corny FMV sequences. uh, Okay. Big emphasis on... It's hard to keep these straight anymore. It is. I think the last one I played was... It was the one before the movie came out. Okay. And it was like an... It was like open world and there were police chases. And I can't remember which one it was called. Because uh, there's been Hot Pursuit and Most Wanted, and then they remade Hot Pursuit and Most Wanted, and then I think there was another one. So this would have been this like is the, the remake of Most Wanted we're seeing right here. Maybe that's the one I played. Uh, God, I can't. Remember. It was like I think it was like the first this generation one on X- Xbox and I think and that's PS4. it. Yeah, is that Most Wanted? And here's the latest one. This is the one that just came out two okay. years ago, I guess it was. Not to be confused with the other time they failed to try to make a story-driven one, which was The Run. Yeah, which was really, um, really bad. Really bad. That might be the worst game in the series. At least this one played okay. Yeah. But a lot of pushback on this game. It did not sell well. Um, which makes sense, because I don't even remember it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, it was always online, was most people's biggest complaint. And so people who do not have reliable or, or an inter- internet connections or an internet connection at all were basically left out in the cold. The new game is not going to have an always online uh, connection. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's too late for this franchise? Well, here's the thing. I feel like it's never too late for this franchise as long as the Fast and the Furious movies are still hits. Yeah. It's just they've, they've been trying to kind of tap into that for almost 14 years. You can see the, lower, the never... lower third there. They just never quite find it, and it's weird to me that like they struggle so hard in finding the the because the thing is, I think this game, this series, found its feet in the '90s. Yeah. Oh, um, totally. Because three was the, was Hot Pursuit. Need for Speed uh, Underground which, is which the best-selling Need for Speed ever. And uh, and then they had Porsche Unleashed, and yeah. they had uh, Most One, and those were all great. Like those yeah. were all really solid games, especially the one by Black Box that was only on the PlayStation Two. The most most wanted because I think it was Most Wanted, where it was. Um, a different because Black Box made the PS2 version. A different different team made was it the other. Carbon? Others. 
No, it wasn't carbon. No, 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 it was before all that. Okay. Uh, this was when they were still arcade racers. All right, all right. And there was no customization at all, because um, those are the ones I love. I love those old ones because they were they had they had like these really imaginative places and worlds. Like I, I still remember the original Hot Hot Pursuit, Need for Speed Three on the PlayStation One. It was one of the tracks was called Atlantica, and it was just in this like futury kind of half underwater, like almost like Atlantis meets like the Riviera sort of city and you race through the whole thing and as you went through the tunnels like the the cop like announcements would like echo off the walls it was great it was it was it was like just surreal enough to be to feel like 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 unique and it's and it probably says something that 23 years later I can still remember what that track looks like yeah whereas he asked me anything about the last six need for speed games I'd be like ah there was like there was a cliff and <laughs> and then you went into a garage, yeah. And there was trees. There was trees. Yeah, I I, I got nothing for. I'm it just wondering on if the rest, on, on like the last ten years of this series. Look on PlayStation Four, it the PlayStation Four still has yet to really get an amazing arcade racer. Mm-hmm. We've got that on Xbox One already with both Forza, Forza. Horizons. And if you ha- if you have Forza Horizon Three and you have not played that Hot Wheels expansion. Get off Get your it. ass! Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, wow, it's one of the best deals. Like we of the talk year. about San Francisco Rush twenty forty nine, like this yeah. the closest to that it is, I've played yeah. in a very long time. And so on Xbox, Trackmania, to me, it's thing. a dead issue. Your Forza yeah. Horizon is too good. Um, I don't see Need for Speed being able to crack into that. I mean, the fact that it also has no. crossplay with PC and all that that game's over. But on PlayStation Four, I feel like there's still a window for a game like this to break through. I think you're right. It's just I don't know if. Need for Speed is the one that's going to do it because I don't know why they've struggled with this series' identity for so long, but it feels like they can't decide what it is or what they want it to be or how to go about it. And they seem to change, they seem to start over almost every single time after every a couple of they games. Do, yeah. And like it's, like, it's like wrestling games, I guess. It's like, I feel like if you just kept iterating, you'd eventually get there, but they keep starting over. Yeah. Well, it's like we were talking about earlier with Andromeda and yeah. Bioware Montreal. It's like, one and done isn't going to get you anywhere. you got to stick with it. Um, but isn't it kind of crazy that the PlayStation 4 has so many units out there, been on the market for several years, and it still doesn't have its definitive arcade racer? Yeah. Think about that. Is it just something There's tons that- of... Look, there's tons of Sims... Project yeah. Cars, you got Gran Turismo, you got Gran Turismo Sport coming up, which looks great, by the way. I don't know if you've been checking out the latest uh, beta gameplay, but that game's shaping up to be pretty sharp. Mm-hmm. It may play like dog crap, but it looks good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's no definitive arcade racer for PlayStation 4 still. Yeah. That, I mean, it, you, this used to be a genre that by now, there would be like 11 games oh, yeah, available. It used, to, it used to be how you judge the hardware. Almost. Yeah, a lot like, of you, times you, it you, was. You'd look at all the pop-up, and you'd look at all the draw discs. Like you'd always, you know, that was your that was your benchmark almost for for a new console. Was what do the racing games look like? There and was it's not there anymore. There was the one B level game that just came out. Oh man, it's all about crashing, and it has like the human dartboard. What's it called? Its subtitle was like Total Insanity. I don't know. I can't remember what it's called. So there was that entry. That but- might be part of the problem too. Is like I mean, you know, I don't pay attention to these yeah. kind of games anymore. If it's not Forza Horizon. It just doesn't clock on my radar. It just it's it's surprising to me to see EA giving the green light to this game after the first one didn't do especially well critically or financially, and then you have Mass Effect Andromeda, mm-hmm. which did pretty well critically, 
sold pretty well as well, and you're just going to can that franchise and you're going to bring back Need for Speed. I, I get Need for Speed is on a two-year development cycle, and you can turn those out a lot more quickly than you can an open-world action RPG, but I don't know. EA's decision-making, to me, it feels like they're still living in the Need for Speed Underground days. Like, they think it's going to come back. I don't know if you, I think Need for Speed Underground sold like 10 million copies or something insane for back then, and that was back when installed base of consoles was way lower as well. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's just not going to capture that magic in a bottle again with this series. And yeah, so, well, I, I feel like if, you know, if they wanted to be real bold about it, because like, you can see even like watching this, like they've got like the Forza style, like you know, you rack up experience points as you drift and you, you know, you roll around like, you know, this, the open world city and you find races to get involved in and you do like rival stuff. What if you just made like, even if it was just digital only and like bargain price, just make Need for Speed again. Yeah. Make an arcade <laughs> racer with like 10 tracks in it yeah. and some cool licensed music and you just get in there and you race like a point to point. Or, or even lap driven, whichever you want to do. Give it some, give it whatever handling you want. You license the cars if you want. Give it online. Like just make Need for Speed again. It doesn't have to be everything. Doesn't have to be an open world action RPG car experience with yeah. with people like <laughs> always yelling online. always <laughs> online, yelling yeah. brogue slogans yeah. at you the whole time. Like just make a fun car race game. Well, how about this? We talked earlier about how EA doesn't do remasters. Just remaster Need for Speed Underground. Or any of them. I mean, but Underground, most I think if you probably took a poll of most fans of the franchise, most people point to Underground as like their favorite one that they played. I don't think that's true. Really? I think I think people. It was the best selling by a mile. Selling, sure, but that doesn't mean everybody liked it. I mean, I'm sure it's of there's like because there's different eras of Need for Speed. There's there the, is. there's the original where there were arcade racers on the PS1. Right. Then there's the Cop Chase then, era, and the, which is the Cop Chase era. Um, <laughs> that was Need for Speed Three. That was Hot Pursuit. That started the whole Hot thing. Hot Pursuit, yeah. That was the third one, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were talking about, like, the first two entries, though. I'm talking about PS1. Oh, I'm talking about PlayStation it. 1. Okay. The first, the first generation of them, which was 1, 2, 3, 4. Okay. And I think Porsche Unleashed was in there on PC somewhere, too. Um, which was also, like, where... You know, Porsche Unleashed was also interesting because it was heavily modded by the community as well. That, yeah. that game ended up looking amazing once you had enough community mods in it. And then you kind of... In the 2000s and the, you know, the Xbox PS2 era... You moved into kind of the underground thing where it became like it became street racing, it became custom tuning, it became you know influenced by the street race culture and uh, the uh, and the Fast and the Furious kind of thing. And then you sort of after that you have sort of the 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 disaster era, I guess you'd yeah. call it, where like they just don't they know just what to do their anymore. Way like it, yeah, yeah, like kind of once you pass sort of the pro street. Barrier, like it's just. The I remember system, doing this, interviews with developers. The series just loses its identity and never quite figures out what it is again. So far, I remember uh, doing interviews with developers during that era of the Need for Speed. I don't know if you remember or not, but EA used to have these Gamers Days. Yeah, where literally Camp they would EA or whatever. Yeah, it was. Camp EA, yeah. where they'd bring every game that they were publishing mm-hmm. into their campus. And you basically just went on this interview circuit, just interviewing game after game after game after game, and you you finished one, you went right on to the next, and it was this cycle that everyone went through. And after you did that a couple years, what you started to realize, one, is that you didn't have enough time to really do the interviews, so you had to really kind of cut to the quick whenever you did them. And so every every year I would go to this, and I, it would come my turn to do an interview for Need for Speed, and the first question I would ask is, you know, other than what's your name and title and spell your name, please, was what's unique about this game? Because that's what people want to know. And they would sit there for literally like eight or nine seconds 
and be like, well, really? You know, it's just kind of the tone and the feel. <laughs> You're right. just like, that's not going to cut it, bro. That's not mm-hmm. good enough. And it went down and down and down. I feel like it was revived a little bit with this last game, but uh, I don't and know. I think they, there was a little bit of a bright spot when Criterion took it over yeah. and did the remake of Hot, Hot Pursuit and the remake of Most Wanted. I felt like it kind of sort of found its feet there, but it's it's been a weird ride for the last 10 years, I think, of this franchise. Um, and every time they announce a new one, I'm surprised all over again, because I'm like, again? We're going to try this one again. Yeah. Uh, like, for whatever reason, they see, I mean... It'd be playable at uh, E3. For whatever sure. reason, they, they just won't let this one go, despite the... I mean, there's, there's more interesting franchises that have been dead longer than this series has been alive You're due right. to EA owning them. And they just, they, you know, you'll never see them mention, you know, Wing Commander again. No. But, um, except for that one terrible Battle Arena 360 arcade game. No, that's right. Um, yeah. Which was like, I don't know what planet you're from that you thought that's what anyone who cares about this franchise would have wanted out of that property, but okay. Um, but Need for Speed just never goes away. And uh, Eternal. Sometimes it feels like it should. Yep. Um, <laughs> I think it feels like that right now, Matt. <laughs> this is the time. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about... This is like the bad news episode, for whatever <laughs> reason. There's no big news this week, and the news that did come in was not good news. So, Square Enix announces yesterday that it is essentially cutting ties with IO Interactive. IO Interactive is a studio that developed the episodic Hitman series uh, that's been running now for, I guess, about a year, year and a half. Um, the game received pretty good reviews. Um, people were mostly on board with this episodic structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw people playing it at, e- at E3. I saw I saw people. I knew a couple people that like had made had cut a deal with the with the Square people to like log on at the booth. To oh, really? Play, to play the because <laughs> they had those assassinations you can only do for like yeah. two days, and they did they one during they did one during E3. Ah, right. And, pe- and there were a bunch of people that didn't want to miss it, so like Square was letting people play uh, their assassination. They there. just released another one of those missions last week. It's good support. It's. I think that's a great idea for DLC. I would love to see that come to other games. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think Hitman is just its day is come and gone? Well, for me, Hitman's day was never here. So I guess I've never been a big fan of the series either. I used, when I worked at GT, a guy that worked for me, his name was Chris Wynn. He it was one, probably his favorite franchise. And we always had problems finding people to review the Hitman games mm-hmm. because you know what you're in for. A lot of trial and error, usually pretty challenging, um, and a lot of people would balk at reviewing them, and he was sort of our go-to guy. Like, any time a new Hitman came out, we'd always give it to him. But otherwise, like, no one else on staff wanted ever wanted to play them. The other problem with Hitman games in the past is they've been really buggy. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about being on a, on a strict deadline, and it's a franchise that's notorious for having not just bugs, but, like, game-breaking and save-wiping bugs, that's going to keep people from wanting to play it and review it and so mm-hmm. it was always a struggle for us but it seemed like with this it got a bit of a revival people were enjoying it again it got great reviews a lot of publications were even taking the time to review the individual episodes of this so this is a shock to me but not that big of a shock because if you remember i think it was the tomb raider reboot and not rise of the tomb raider i think it was a reboot where square enix was unhappy with like Three and a half or four million copies sold in the first like quarter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Square Enix was like, that's not good enough. So 
for whatever reason, the standards are really high with Square Enix for sales. Like, three or four million isn't getting it done, and that's not good enough. Do you think that's a short-sighted strategy for Square Enix to take? Yes. Yeah. And, um... And, and obviously, we've already said we're not fans of this franchise in particular. Right. So. But I think, you know, you can you can see the quality on this installment sure. of it. Yep. Pretty clearly, even if you're not a fan. And that should really be the end game for Square, uh, especially because a lot of the output coming from Japan is not of that quality. Yeah. And, uh, you, know, and you know, you see the same thing. Mean, they're, they're kind of shutting a lot of that stuff down in the name of let's do the Marvel stuff. Yep. But I'll tell you this much. Um, is this a mirror of EA where, a little bit. where perhaps Square Enix has said, we're going to put all our resources into this Avengers IP and we're going to cut off some of the other ones the way EA did with Star Wars and kind of schluffed off Mass Effect? I mean, a little bit, I guess, but it, like, I don't know if Marvel is like a guaranteed game seller, you know? Like, like people are, I think, much more skeptical about, like, Marvel games than they are about, say, Star Wars games. But Star Wars has a lot better games in its, in its, in its, in its backpack than uh, Marvel. I mean, Marvel's got Marvel vs. Capcom and, like, a couple of things, but, like, Marvel, for a long time, comic book superhero games were sort of, like, the watchword of, like, licensed games suck. Why? Let's look at the latest Marvel or DC game. You know, like, that's... I'll say this, though. If... It delivers a great Marvel Avengers game. It will sell like crazy. One, once it's, one would think. Once the reviews get out there, and if it's like a nine or higher, it the gamble will be totally be worth it. Maybe. I mean, I'm wondering about the synergy on this one. Where like, you know, are you going to make an Avengers game that's about like kind of the original Avengers movie? And by the time that comes out, you're talking about a movie that's seven years old, right? Um, where if you saw that and you loved it when you were, you know, when you were 10, uh, now you're almost in college. You well, know, let's like, just like, pretend that it is a great game that comes out. Right. That does sort of rationalize Square Enix kind of going all in on the property. I mean, if you're just talking about the IP and you're choosing mm-hmm. IPs, do we make another Hitman or do we divert that money and that re- in those resources towards making a great Marvel or Avengers game? Somewhat. I mean, the, the, I think I think it makes more sense to make the Marvel Avengers game. I don't agree with that necessarily really? because Marvel is not a proof. You know, the superhero thing has not been proven to kind of translate across uh, media, which seems crazy. Um, you know, the, there's not really a big boom in superhero games, despite the boom in superhero movies. Yeah. Um, and even it's all, some of it's almost reversed. We're like we're getting we were getting good Batman games while we were getting good Batman movies, but like there has been no kind of real you know response from the game industry in you know in response to these cinematic universes popping up. There, there's no there's no cross cross media pollination happening here, and you gotta wonder. And maybe the maybe Marvel versus Capcom Infinite will be kind of the canary in this coal mine. Is the success of of these movies going to translate into game sales. And while that seems to kind of work on a mobile front, because that Contest of Champions Marvel game is, a, is very popular, yeah. uh, and I guess we'll see how Injustice 2 does, although I think Injustice 2 has the advantage of being made by NetherRealm, which has, a, you know, NetherRealm games, game, fighting games just sell real damn well. They like, do. I mean, Word on the street, though. No review code coming out so far for Injustice 2. Uh-oh. Yep. That's a little disturbing. That's some super secret undercover info for you sifters. No review code for Injustice 2 yet. Mm, but they are already running those commercials that tell you to go buy, go get it at GameStop so you can get Darkseid. Mobile GameStop, GameStop. version's out already. I mean, the game comes out, is it Tuesday or Friday of next week? 
Is it a Friday release? I want to say it's Tuesday. Yeah, I think it is Tuesday. There's a lot out Where on the 25th. The, yeah, there is. Yeah, for whatever reason, it's a huge uh, week. But uh, yeah, review code not out there for Injustice 2 yet, unless it came today. And I haven't had a chance to check. So, mm-hmm. like, really, we're in a, just a word of caution for you guys. I'm just like, we're in a we're in a world right now where the only prominent movie game crossover stuff seems to pretty much be the Lego games. Yeah, and. We're about to find out with this Square deal if that's enough. Yeah, you're right. Like, do is there even an, a hunger for that kind of game? Because I, mean, I think Star Wars is a different beast in that regard. Star Wars, uh, Star Wars is character driven in a lot of ways in terms of the films, but in terms of how the games work, they've always been about experiencing that that universe, the moment, the yeah. world, yeah, the, yeah. You know, being a Jedi, not being Luke Skywalker so much as being a Jedi, not being Biggs or Wedge as much as being. A, a, you are an X-Wing pilot. Exactly, you know? yeah. Whereas, it's like taking down the uh, AT-ATs. Right. Battlefront. Like, it's not that you're Luke Skywalker doing that. You're, ta- you're, it's that you're taking right. down it's the It's like AT-ATs. Battlefront. You're just playing yeah. like a random soldier, but right. that's the experience people are interested yeah. in. Uh, whereas in Marvel, you're, it's a character-driven thing to the point where you want to be Iron Man. You, be, you don't want to be a guy who was working for Tony Stark wearing an Iron Man, so right. you want to be Iron Man. Yeah. And the ability to translate those characters into a, a viable player experience, I think, is a much harder thing than just giving you a blaster and telling you to run and go. Well, it's a lot more difficult, too, because you can't just cut and paste. Yeah. So you can't just slap a new skin on a character and say, he still runs the same. Right. And he still shoots a gun the same, because every superhero has completely different right. abilities that's that what I mean about drastically the, alter. That's what I mean about the Avengers thing, is like, you know, even if you just start with the first movie, that's six characters that, you know, unless you, like, yeah. unless you like don't let people play as, like, what, what we would say would maybe be the boring characters, which in terms of super-powered gameplay would probably be Black Widow and Hawkeye, but if you don't let people play Black Widow, there's going to be backlash because people want a female playable character. Right. At which point, the only one you wouldn't want, wouldn't let anyone play would be Hawkeye, which is sort of mean. Yeah. And, <laughs> and like, you know, so you have to have gameplay that fits all these different characters. They're very different power sets, and you have to make all that gameplay... You basically have to make six games Yeah. at that point. You're right. You know, it's, it's like that... It's the old... You know, like Rockstar used to say with the old G- you know, with GTA it's 3. Possible. It's our, possible. Our trailer of the week this week is for a game that sure, has it's four campaigns. And like even Overwatch kind of shows that like everyone plays similarly in terms of perspective and basic controls, but everybody plays differently in terms of who they are, what characters they, they are. And hopefully that's sort of what they're going after here. I think I think if that's what the kind of game they're making, maybe like a more of a, a action RPG first person thing that takes some lessons from Overwatch in terms of making characters feel individual, that could be a good thing. But what I'm kind of getting at there is like, you know, even if you're starting just with the, the first Avengers movie, that's six characters. Maybe, okay, now you in, in, incorporate Age of Ultron, you've got at least two more characters to put in yeah, there. Now, by yeah. the time you're through Infinity War, you're like, you know, you've got a dozen, a dozen or more yeah. Avengers to worry about, plus Spider-Man. Spider-Man's one of the hardest characters to get right oh, in terms yeah. of gameplay Well, I mean, already. we have Insomniac on that. So. Insomniac's on that, so probably <laughs> Sp- Spider-Man may or not be involved right. in the MCU license for that. But, like... Um, the, like making an Avengers game in terms of like kind of really trying to tie it in properly is going to be a monumental task, and I and you know is Square Enix the team is Square Enix the, the team to do, to do that. It. I don't. They got the resources, but do they yeah. got the chops? I yeah, don't know. I don't know either. Let's get back to Hitman though. So, do you think this is the end of Agent Forty Seven? Do you think this is it? No, I think someone else will pick this up. You somewhere. think another publisher will buy the IP? Yeah. You do. I, eventually. 
I don't know, man. If we can get a Darksiders three, there can be another <laughs> Hitman. Like, it, there's yeah. Any if there's one thing that's true about any kind of big budget media right now, it's like if you want to get greenlit, people got to have heard of you, and yeah. people have heard of Hitman. There've been two Hitman well, movies, movies for God's yeah, sake. Yeah, but I mean that's kind of the point, though. Is Someone that... is going to be dumb enough to take that financial dive. But Square Enix is looking at it like, wait a minute, there have been two films for this IP, right. and we still can't sell it. And the game reviewed pretty well. Yeah, I think there's going to be some publisher or publishers somewhere that just think Square Enix hasn't handled it properly. It could be. And I don't think that's entirely an indefensible opinion. I, I, I don't either. I just think that Hitman, in all honesty, just to kind of break it down to brass tacks, it just isn't flashy enough. I think you're probably right. But, it's just but one I of those games. It just does but I don't not... think that translates into it's never coming back again. Maybe. It just does not look... Exciting to play. It when mm. you play it yourself, it is. It gets your heart racing. It it affects you in a way that a lot of other games uh, don't. The bald guy's cleaning a bar. What do you want? That's what I'm saying, though. That's it, there, this you is watch rigid. It. This is this is riveting. It, that's what I'm saying. Like you watch Wait. it. Your objective right now is wait. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> wait and observe. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm talking about. And look, wa- watching this, it's like, oh, that's so boring. It looks so boring. When you play it, it's not. It's no, really intense, and the tension's there. It just does not play well to people who just mm-hmm. watch it being played or just watch a trailer for it. And I, I mean, just, I think you're right, but I don't think that has a necessarily bearing on whether some other publisher will pick this up. I think the only thing that matters for whether a publisher will pick it up or not is sales, honestly. Yeah. And it just hasn't had them. But it's think, always been one of those. I think somewhere, somewhere out there is a publisher who's going to look at that and be like, "People know this franchise. It's well known, even outside of gaming circles to some degree, because of the movies." And they're going to, even if it's maybe it's arrogance, but they'll they'll be like, "We can make this into something. We can do this right." And maybe they probably won't. Yeah. But I feel I feel like we have not seen the last of this franchise. Well, here's what I would say to that: is that I think the likelihood of IO Interactive being purchased by somebody is far more likely than someone purchasing the license for Hitman. Mm. Because IO is good. Yes. I mean, it's it, some of its early games were pretty buggy. I mean, don't get me wrong. Oh, Hitman 1. I think the first Hitman is unplayable. Today. Yeah. And look, when this first launched, there were some bugs in it too. But over the years, IO has become a borderline AAA developer. So... I think hang. someone will... Yeah, I think someone will snatch up IO. And look, I wish them luck. Um, I've met... I.O., I can't tell you how many times, talked to them, went out and had drinks with them. They're great dudes. Um, and they get it. That's the crazy part. I would, like, I would buy I.O. and make them do a new Tenchu game. Not a bad idea. But, you know, you meet a lot of developers, like, outside of the office. When they're on camera, they're all putting on the happy yeah. face or whatever. But, you know, some, some of them you actually go out and have a drink or two with and kind of talk about the industry with. And a lot of times, like, a lot of the developers are narcissists and completely oblivious to the faults in their games. I'm not going to name people, but there are prominent developers who are like that. Um, IO's not like that. You would, I remember specifically sitting in a bar with them and talking about, and I had had a couple drinks, and I was being pretty, pretty open about my opinion about their games, and I told them, I'm like, your games are too buggy. And, like, you know, one, one time you have a buggy game, that's okay. Second time, you're pushing it. Third time, it's almost a death knell. Fourth time, you're Obsidian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And they agreed. They're like, you're absolutely right. They're like, we've had a lot of turnover. Uh, a lot of times we finish a game, we lose like 30% of our staff, and then mm. the other 30% rolls back in, and we have to it, we go through the whole process all over again. And they were kind of lamenting 
to me what it was like to sort of be a B-level developer and not have games that are always in the top of Metacritic because, look, when you're a naughty dog, you have the best employees beating down your door every day, like saying, I want to work on your next game. I want to." But when you're one of the smaller, like, middle-of-the-road guys, like, you have to recruit talent. Mm. At Naughty Dog, the talent comes to you. At some other developers, you have to yeah. work for that talent. Naughty and, Dog, people are begging to work 80 exact, hours. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy, isn't it? But they don't stay forever, do they? No. Well, they get it on their resume. They get it on their resume, and then they're out. And they get a big raise somewhere else. So Work somewhere saner. Yep. So I have a lot of respect for IO. They are a developer that aren't delusional about uh, the products that they've made. They accept criticism like adults and don't act like children. Um, and they've made some good games. So I really hope that somehow everyone there ends up on their feet. I hope that they get to stay together, and someone mm. just buys them as a whole, and they get to keep making games, hopefully not Hitman games, um, I think maybe I think one way or the other, uh, like there, certainly, I think most of the industry recognizes the talent at, at IO, and one way or the other, they will somebody will pick that up. I hope so. They're I, good guys. It would make no games. sense to just let that fly like yep. that. Like someone's going to pick that ball up. Hey, yep. maybe EA could pick it up and have them make a Mass Effect game. Yeah. <laughs> there you, I don't know if that would work out. We'll see. No, I don't think it would. But <laughs> hey, a stealth Mass Effect game wouldn't that be great? Uh, but anyway. <laughs> I, uh, hopefully everything works out for you guys. If it doesn't, I wish you all the best of luck uh, make, finding new gigs. And... Yeah, they'll just do a, a, a Hitman reskin and call it Wing Commander. Yeah. That'll, that'll be what he ate. <laughs> all right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about something you guys probably don't want me to talk about, and that hmm. is the brand new Madden, just shown off today for the first time. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this. As always, my sports conversation disclaimer, we're not going to burn a lot of time, so don't leave. Uh, I know a lot of people, when they see us talking about sports, say they start tuning out. But, oh, you're uh, talking to me right now. Just, don't leave. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. I was like... Uh, Madden announced today, making Sam happy, Tom Brady, the cover athlete. Ooh, Madden Curse. Madden Curse, which actually <laughs> held up last year with Gronkowski. This is two years in a row. Yeah, the Gronk have been on the box. Had a good, good year. Gronk out for most of the year. Crushed two of my fantasy leagues because of it. I, In one league, I have... A key with my keeper, I had one out of two keepers, and he literally ruined my entire season. Thanks, Sam. And then uh, Brady, he's pretty fragile. Is he 40 now, Sam? Or is he going to be 40? He doesn't age. How old is he? He's up there. He's 39. He's going to be 40 this season, right? Yeah. That's, that's two strikes. <laughs> I think everyone but Patriots fans would just love to see Tom Brady fall under the Madden curse. Because then everyone else is like, wow, we may actually have a chance to win the Super Bowl now. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> the Patriots are the closest thing to supervillains that the NFL has. They really so. are, yeah, for sure. Um, so that's a big story for football fans. People who play f- football video games don't give a crap who's on the cover. For football fans, that's a big deal. But now let's talk about the game. Who, so, Who does give a crap about who's on the cover? Why is that such a big deal? Is that just a big deal because the PR, PR wings of the publishers make it a big deal? Or? I guess. I mean, it, it carries the pop culture story yeah. along with it, obviously. It's like an opportunity to like have some FaceTime with someone somebody's heard of. Basically. Yeah. Sam was saying today that uh, Brady started posting pictures on Instagram of broken mirrors and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is really clever and really funny. Um, but the big story with Madden NFL 18 is that it has something I have been asking for in Madden for literally over a decade. It has a campaign story mode. So the feature that they unleashed in FIFA first is now making its way over to Madden. This has not been officially announced, by the way. Sam, if you could scroll that trailer back up. 
at the end of this trailer, they basically tip your hand because it shows like a guy in a hotel room, like mauling his future. He looks out the window of the hotel room, and I think you can see Reliance Stadium, which is the stadium for the Houston Texans, I believe. Um, thank God! Thank freaking God that EA has finally decided to do something with the Madden franchise. I mean, I've been so desperate for a story mode in a football game that I imported a crappy Wii football game called Ice Shield 21, which was, a, an, there's an anime or a manga, I can't remember mm. which it is. Probably both. Probably both. In Japan called Ice Shield 21, which is about football. Mm. And this little obscure developer made a football game based upon that IP for the Wii that was only ever released in Japan. I mean, the, the rest of the game was unique, too. Like, you played football from first-person perspective. I feel like that game could teach EA a lot about making a new football game. But anyway, EA appears to finally be stepping in that right direction and actually giving players incentive to play the game by themselves. And that's what I think this franchise has been missing. I think that's why this franchise has stagnated in, in sales for almost the better part of a decade now, because the single-player experience has just been not worth experiencing for mm -hmm. way too long. Um, and most people don't want to play online because you go online and it's just people just basically cheating and exploiting over and over mm -hmm. again. And it's like, if you don't want... And disconnecting. Yeah, and when you beat them, they disconnect. And, like, yeah, you, you still get you get the win now with the way things are set up. But it's not gratifying to spend all that time and have some chump just disconnect on you. Mm -hmm. And people want to play a compelling single-player mode in Madden. They just do. I do. And... The way it is now with the franchise mode where you just play game after game and just look at stats and, like, you know, there's some player growth RPG, light RPG stuff in the franchise modes, and I'm assuming that's going to continue with this new story mode as well. But there's just no compelling narrative to keep all those kind of parts together in, in a compelling way. And so this could be a huge step for Madden. Like, if it, if it turns out well... You could see the revival of this franchise from this because people want to have a reason to play it beyond playing online. And really, that's all that's been there for the last 10 years. And when you go online, you just get annihilated by the people who have learned all the quirks. And Which have, is weird. I've learned you can like... drop back 80 yards with Michael Vick and he can still hoof it, throw it 90 yards all the way to the end zone. Like, that's what happens when you play online. You get the people who cheat, basically. And they're not even necessarily cheats. They found little exploits. They're like, well, if I shift my defensive line twice to the left, and then shift it back once to the right, the offensive line just doesn't block, and people flood it. Like, it's stuff like that. And it's, look, that's been a part of sports video games for forever. Um, but I think, like, the casual player, which is what a lot of NFL fans are, some people will only buy their consoles for Madden and GTA. This is one of those franchises people will buy a console for and only play this game. People have been waiting for a compelling reason to play by themselves for a while, and I think this could be a boon for, for Madden mm -hmm. after several years of... I wouldn't say mediocrity. The games have been good. There's just nothing compelling about them. Like I was saying earlier about Camp EA, about how I would go from one spot to another and say, so what's new? And they'd be like, oh, well, we've adjusted the blocking angles or whatever. Like this year... The, the, the truck stick. Exactly. Right? Like they've... Look, they've repackaged the truck stick and the vision cone like four different times. Mm -hmm. It's all bullcrap. Finally, Madden has something to say, hey, we do have something new finally. And it was pulled off pretty well in FIFA. Um, obviously, completely different development teams, uh, but it does give me at least some semblance of mm -hmm. faith that they can pull it off in Madden as well. So it seems to be a, I mean, a well behind 
the times and that we're, I mean, certainly, like, I know a fair number of people who play the show. And it has. Year, and that game, to everyone I know who plays that game, it might as well just be road to the show, the game. Oh, yeah, Like, for no sure. one, they don't play online, they don't play, they, they just pl- create their character and play, you know, play that character's career. Like, that's, that's all they want to do. Jay Reed, Vic, I should have known, uh, corrected me, it's Lucas Oil Stadium, the Colt Stadium, mm-hmm. so, in Indianapolis. Uh, so I'm excited about that, and I haven't been excited about a Madden in quite a while. Um, some people do get excited about it. Over, I mean, the marketing works sometimes. Shinier helmets. Yeah, exactly, or rounder helmets or whatever. This is a significant addition, finally. Have they ever managed to match that one screenshot? Never. From that wasn't even a ago? screenshot. That was a, that was a trailer. Like, they made a right. trailer that they pre-rendered. Like, what, and no, yeah, what it will look like one day. That. No. I it, mean, think about this. That, that's what gave us bullshot, I believe. One uh, of them. Penny, Ar- Penny Arcade uh, coined that term off of a still from that trailer, I think. And think about this. It was Terrell Owens and Michael Strahan, two players who have not even been in the NFL for years and years now. So, And they still haven't hit that target render mm-hmm. after all this time. So that's it. Just wanted to get Madden on your radar. years ago. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> Just want to get Madden on your radar. Uh, I know there's some closet Madden fans out there who maybe turned sour on the franchise after many, many years of uh, kind of running in place. But just want to let you guys know that they are finally making a move and a move that I have asked for for quite some time. So let's move on to our trailer of the week. I said earlier that the trailer of the week was for a game that has four separate campaigns. And that's exactly what this is. Um, so Mercury Steam, you remember them, Matt? Yeah, they did... Um... The Castlevania games. The Lords of Shadow games, which, depending on your perspective, were good-ish. First, first one was surprisingly good. The second one was not so much. Not so much. Um, well, this studio... Oh, too much mouse stealth. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, this studio has been like completely undercover ever since then. It hasn't really done much since. It finally is ramping up development of this game. We got the first trailer last year, and we finally got another one. Um, again, four campaigns in one game, and this trailer is for Raiders of the Broken Planet, four divided by one trailer.
There it is. What do you think, Matt? Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, if you told me that was a Destiny expansion, I might believe you yeah. in some, some ways. This so far, um, I believe, is self-published by Mercury yeah. Steam. I don't think that they have a publisher right looking, now. I'm sure that will be their E3 goal. Maybe. Yeah. Shopping it around. I mean, it, it looks cool and all. Yeah, it looks big budget. Big budget, space western stuff. Um, I know. I, I wonder how much uh, skepticism there will be surrounding that game in the sense that like, there was a lot of talk in the, in the aftermath of Lords of Shadow 2 that um, Mercury Steam had some internal issues. Yeah. The guy, the guy that runs it is Yeah, like it got a little a, shady. A little... Uh, Remember Kojima came over and worked with them for a yeah. little bit, and yeah, there's a bit of a saga behind that whole that whole studio. But uh, I, I liked um, kind of what they were after, and they and they the, the games felt good when they were when they were running on all cylinders, I think, especially the first one, felt good to, to, to whip things and hit things with. So, I'd like to see... You know, look, I'd like to see any any team that seems to have like an idea and a vision continue on and they that's certain and i think raiders of the broken planet is an awesome title <laughs> so I, I i hope they uh i hope they they get a publisher and do well with it all right let's get to some questions here send them in uh we already got a few here's a good one who did a better this is from the legacy who did a better job taking over a franchise three four three industries with halo 4 or bioware montreal with mass effect he also adds, I have never seen a Star Wars movie. <laughs> That's crazy to me. Wow. That's a good question. I guess I'll say uh, Montreal because at least I uh, intend to finish Mass Effect Andromeda, whereas uh, I'm still considering whether I'll play another Halo. I'd agree with you a thousand percent. Uh, I had to drag my ass across the finish line with Halo 4. It was just so formulaic and so yeah. generic. Uh, Halo 5 is a little better. But if you're saying specifically Halo 4 and Andromeda, is Andromeda in a landslide for me. I enjoyed Andromeda I, all the way to the end. So um, there were times in Halo 4, even though it wasn't that long, that I did not want to keep playing. So pretty easy uh, call for me. Uh, here's one from Justin Horman. As always, every week he gets in a good question. Is there a game for which you watch esports streams or championships that you love watching but don't actually play the game? This was actually a story that was curated to mm. Sifted today, was that uh, I think it was 40-some percent of esports fans do not even play the game mm. that they love to watch. I mean, I don't really... I mean, I can't remember the last time I booted up Street Fighter V, so I yeah. guess that probably qualifies. Yeah. Because I just, I just sort of dropped out of the Street Fighter V thing uh, you know, by summer last year, I think. But I still watch the majors. You know, I watched NorCal Regionals, and I watched um, uh, something that was in Scotland that I found. You know, every once in a while, I'll just watch a uh, a stream of a of a tournament that I run into, uh, and especially the Capcom Pro Tour stuff. Yeah. Um, but I really don't play uh, Street Fighter Five anymore. Um, and certainly, I uh, you know, so I guess that kind of counts. I, it's not like I have no experience with them, and I don't. But that's the only esports stuff I watch. Honestly, I hardly watch any esports. I really don't. Um, I think I watch some Rocket League sometimes mm. because those guys are really freaking good. And uh, sometimes I'll watch just for a little bit. Like I'll catch like the highlights or whatever when they put up like a roundup of it, and I'll watch like the end to see if there's an exciting ending. Um, but really, the only other esports I watch is like Evo. I have to watch some for curating and stuff like that, but actually sitting and watching it, like, Evo is the only one, and I honestly do not hardly ever play fighting games anymore. So, yeah, there's a perfect example. Just fighting games in general for me, I don't play them a ton. 
Um, I mean, I played Street Fighter V when it came out for the game eval. Um, and I think I went back maybe twice after that to play it again. And that's it. So, yeah, fighting games in general for me, but I'd agree mm -hmm. with Matt as well. Street Fighter V is another one. And, of course, like, I mean, anytime I'm just not very good at the SNK games, but I will usually watch, like, the whatever tournament they're doing, like an Evo or something of, like, King of Fighters 14 or something, just because I like the art style. Okay. And it's fun to watch, like, I don't even know where I'd begin to construct combos in those games, and it's fun to watch some of the crazy stuff people have come up with. Yep. I'll probably watch some Injustice too, as well, even though I don't really intend to play that game extensively. I think a lot of people are hoping they can play it, but can't right now. Mm. Um, FSB Alston... Shane, have you heard Sound Wizard's Game Face intro track yet? I have not. Uh, what do you think? If someone made a good intro video to accompany it, would you consider changing the intro? Absolutely. Um, I am not tied to anything ever in my life. If I can always find uh, a better way to do something or a better example to replace something I have currently, I am always open to it. Um, Sound Wizard, I cannot believe you didn't send me a DM on the site for me to listen to this. I would love to hear it. Um, I created the uh, current soundtrack for Game Face, um, and I would love to hear someone else's take. I don't know if it's the same track and he's kind of remixed it and redone it, or if he created something from scratch, but I would love to hear it. So send me a DM, and I will check it out. Uh, and for the record, Sound Wizard did the uh, sound effect for our achievements on the site. So, uh... Unfashionable asks, do you think a remastered Mass Effect trilogy of the original three games on PC, PS4, X1 could reignite interest in the series, or would it appear too dated? Um, like a straight remaster might feel a little dated in terms, certainly in terms of the first game. The yeah. first game, I would like to see the first game completely reworked. Um, like for me, it would be a remake. It of would one be worthy of and it, a remaster yeah. of two and three. Yeah. Um, and maybe even it'd be nice to go back and do the last ten minutes of three, kind of with a little more verve. You yeah. Know? Um, because I mean, and but I don't have any objectivity in terms of whether that would be a good business decision or anything. Because to, those are that trilogy as a whole is one of my favorite gaming things ever. Peer, I mean, if I was going to make a top ten, top hundred list or something, uh, the Mass Effect trilogy would probably be in my top five of all time. And so, yeah, I would love that. I would love if you want to remake Mass Effect every ten years and just keep <laughs> giving me better and better the versions better tech, of it. Yeah. Awesome, but yeah. like. Um, I feel like EA is not going to do that, and I don't it, think it, it, would it wouldn't help. I don't think it wouldn't don't reinvigorate either. much. It would just make fans who already were in happy. Yeah, I mean, and, look, everybody's played and that's those apparently games. not good enough for EA, is it? <laughs> it's not. I mean, everyone's played those games, and look, I get it. As time goes on, new people come into gaming, and they it would be great for them to be able to play the best version of that if possible mm. or whatever. But I mean, the truth of the matter is, they're already at least 720p. Um, most people have bought. You've bought it multiple times. I think I have three copies of each one. Right, that's what I'm saying. I mean, platforms. you're not alone. There's a lot of people like that. I just think that it's already been milked for all it's worth, and I just don't see. I don't see much gain financially or perception-wise yeah. from it. I just. I mean, as a as a fan, I would do it in a heartbeat. But if I was like running EA, I would even as a fan have to be like, no, this doesn't make sense for us, really. Not on the, not to the degree that it would require it to be worth the time and effort. Like if you know, as opposed to just like slapping the PC versions on the new consoles, that would be that would probably be pretty simple and easy and be more or less free money, I guess. But as a fan, I would want to see more done with it than just upresing the existing games. And I don't think that's in the cards. 
Uh, here's one from Rye74. What happened to the action RPG genre? I really miss games like Dark Alliance and Champions of Norath. Well, mm. man, do you are you on Sifted, bro? <laughs> like, the action. <laughs> do you RPG- even sift, bro? Yeah. Do you sift, bro? How is that not one of the shirts? Yeah, exactly. The action <laughs> RPG genre is bigger and badder than it ever was, and not just. And, but I think isn't he talking about like stuff like Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance? Right. And He's talking about the isometric action RPGs. Kind of like the sort of what, like what Diablo. Yeah. Kind of morphed into. But there are even those. I mean, yeah. there's and they're mostly satisfied by indies. It's not like big publishers doing it. Yeah, like it. a Torchlight. Yeah. Sort of thing. The big publishers have moved on to stuff like The Witcher and Mass Effect Andromeda. Mm-hmm. That's the modern action RPG. But if you're talking about those old school PC isometric camera way up here action RPGs, they're out there too. I mean, you, mm-hmm. the, mostly they're indie games. See a lot of them on Kickstarter anymore. Oh, yeah, I mean, they're not... you gotta, you got to go find them, basically, is, is the situation right now. And, yeah. Uh, I did, and, and they're fun. I, I do like those... I, I was just thinking about the Champions of Norath games a couple months ago, and it was one of those... You ever have one of those things where, oh, those, I'd love to play those again. Where are they? <laughs> like they're in a box in the garage somewhere, and yeah. I'd, I'm like, I'm not going to dig through four boxes to find a copy of Champions of North because I know I'm just going to I'm going to play it for like 20 minutes. And be like, yeah, this game was fun. Next, you not know, anymore. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I I still play uh, Titan Quest now and again. They just did, you know, the THQ Nordic did like that big yep. remaster of it uh, out of nowhere for free for anyone who owned it on Steam. And like, you know, if you haven't played Titan Quest. Go do that right now, basically. Um, but I, I get what he means in the sense that, like, you don't see them on, you know, on consoles much. You know, those, are, those the Champions of Norath and the Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance games were kind of major-ish releases sure. for PS2. Oh, yeah, they were like the bee's knees when yeah. they came out, without a doubt. Uh, here's a good one. Janderman, 1978. Matt and Shane. Uh... What did you like most back in the days about the old 16-bit computers besides the great games? I thought the Amiga 500 had a great sound chip, and its soundtracks are so dear to my heart. Uh, well, technically nothing, because I never saw an Amiga or an Atari ST ever. Yeah, I mean, life. I don't think he's being specific. Um, I think he's just saying that era. I know, any, I know that, but, but I didn't play any of those games no. at the time. Until the, uh, the IBM PC compatible became a thing, and a couple of my friends got those. I played like Wing Commander and and those, you know Wolfenstein and those early kind of you know 3D games. Uh, that was sort of where you know because before that I was playing Apple IIe stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I never knew any one of the Amiga or an Atari ST of that era. I would basically read uh, Video Games Computer Entertainment Magazine and Computer Gaming World and drool over all the Amiga screens. Because, like, games like Sword of Sodan or the Cinemaware games, or, like, those all looked better, or, like, the, the, the Gold Box games, those all looked cooler than anything I had access to yeah. on my Apple yeah. and or any of my consoles. So uh, those were the games that I was like, oh, those must be amazing. And to me, like, that was always, like... Like, oh, like, Amiga games and those Atari ST games always seemed like the games for, for adults. Like, yeah. it was like, it was like those are the games. Cause also because you had people like uh, Andy Eddy and Arnie Katz and, and uh, uh, Bill Kunkel writing these pretty in-depth you know, reviews and in-depth yeah. uh, uh, features on not just the games of the people who made them and the people who played them and the reasons they were what they were and Atari themselves and why Commodore was making these things and, and you know, how all this was kind of all tying together and these, these, these you know, personalities that you just didn't see mentioned in things like Nintendo Power or whatever. 
And um, that was always a really interesting world to me that I just had no access to. And it wasn't yeah. until like the last 10 years that I really finally gotten to play some of those games. And uh, yeah, they were not exactly what I built them up to be in my mind. But like you yeah. still, look, man, as, as awkward and weird as it is to play something like Rocket Ranger in the Cinemaware collection now on the way... That game's from like 1987 or know, something. It's crazy. It like is. the fact that it looked like that when we were playing like you know Mario Super Mario Brothers one yeah. on the consoles. I mean, not that you could do Super Mario Brothers one on a PC at the time either. They had their strengths and weaknesses back and forth. But like the fact that like stuff looked like that and had that kind of like you know screw up in this sequence, it changes this sequence. Make this decision here, it changes that. You know, th- there were these decisions and outcomes that were happening in these games that were there was no equivalent on console. Yeah. And it's kind of amazing to go back and revisit those things, even though I never re- even visited them at the in time. The first time, yeah. Uh, what I liked most about that era was that a lot of those platforms, PCs, whatever you want to call them, allowed you to create your own games. And uh, mm. I feel like that's something that went away until, like, Minecraft... Like, there's this whole area of just dead space where it wasn't a part of the consumer experience to be able to create your own game within a a platform that you purchased. And uh, I just remember sitting around for days and days with my friends just trying to figure out how to, like, make a character jump over a log. Like, we're Mm -hmm. like, let's make Pitfall. Like, how do we jump? And it just, it was, I think what it did, it was the first time in my life that I truly appreciated what it took to make video games. Because I think when I was a kid, I just had in my mind, like, well, you just draw something and then you tell it to go over there, which is actually kind of how games are made now. But back then, it wasn't that way. And I remember we had to save our games on cassette tapes. Mm -hmm. Literally, it looked like any other cassette deck, and it just plugged into the computer and you saved your game on a cassette tape. Um, I just feel like that whole era, everything was new... And everything seemed, like, mind-blowing back then. And being able to try to create your own video game, even though we failed miserably, uh, at the very least, mm-hmm. it gave us an appreciation for the people who were doing it and uh, probably made sure that I did not head down that career path ultimately and I did something else. <laughs> so that's what I remember the most about those eras. Uh, wireframe graphics, too, is another mm-hmm. thing that really mm-hmm. sticks out in my mind from back then. Wireframe dungeon crawlers. V Hero Star asks, "Would you prefer a new Tenchu or a new Onimusha game?" Mm. For me, that's Tenchu by light years. Like I never particularly liked Onimusha. Tenchu and Tenchu just Tenchu was when Tenchu was good, which is the first game, uh, and to lesser degrees some of the others. Um, Tenchu, I lo- if I was gonna, if you just gave me like a unlimited budget and time and talented people, I would make basically. Um, I would basically make Tenchu crossed with, like, Horizon Zero Dawn. I would make, like, an open-world Tenchu game. I think um, I like both for different reasons. Onimusha is a more narrative-driven experience. Tenchu is a more accurate simulation of being a ninja. <laughs> if there is such a thing. In a, in a folklore kind of way. Right, yeah. I said more accurate. Yeah. I didn't say it was accurate. I said more accurate. Um, I think if I look back... I had equal fun playing both those franchises for different reasons. Um, I had more fun playing Tenchu with friends because we'd sit there and kind of try to figure out how to get through each stage. Mm -hmm. I had more fun playing Onimusha by myself. So, if you're making me pick, I'd probably go Tenchu. The gameplay was vastly superior in Tenchu. I also feel like Tenchu is... There's no reason there shouldn't still be Tenchu games. No, you're right. Um, And, like... 
I feel like Onimusha kind of like ran its course and they did what they had to do with that game and went about as far as they could go. Uh, I mean, Jean Renault showed up, and once Jean Renault's in your game, like where where else can you go yeah. from there? Um, but like Tenchu, I just felt like always had just tons of potential that was never explored because they kept making the same thing over and over again, and then for a while they just sort of you know, stopped, and then they made that terrible Wii game, yeah. and then it just sort of vanished, and then they you know they made Shinobi Do, uh, same team made Shinobi Do on uh, Vita, yeah. which was a pretty decent. Uh, you know, modern take on the thing, but I'd love to see someone actually be, you know, that a choir actually tackle that material with a AAA budget on a major, on a main actual console again. Uh, I feel like that's a, I feel like Tenchu's one, would probably be one of my top wasted franchise opportunities, uh, which I'm, you know, anything with a grappling hook, I love it. But, like, <laughs> but I just, I, just I, I wish somebody would try that again. Uh, Killzone, your persistence is paying off. We're going to answer your question. Uh, Killzone 310, what happened to Metal Gear Survive? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, who cares? Like, I, Why are you so concerned about it? <laughs> I think we'll see it. I think we'll see something at E3. You think? Uh, I mean, is Konami even at E3? No, but I think you'll see, like, Sony will run, like, a trailer at their... their Maybe. At their the game looks pretty ass. <laughs> like, I don't know if Sony will want to run that trailer at his press conference. Remember when Konami used to have massive press conferences at E3? Crazy. Yeah, crazy yeah. press conferences. Different but, world. Yeah, and uh, I remember like fighting tooth and nail to get into the one where they showed metal, that yeah, twenty minute Metal like, Gear Solid three thing. In. Yeah, now they have to pay people to go to their press conference. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Wow, I didn't see. Uh, Unfashionable says uh, IGN gave Prey on PC a four out of ten yeah. for bugs. I, I mean, I haven't played much more of it, but they basically just hammered it because of the save bug. They wiped out their save. Oh. Yeah, I haven't run into that. Yeah. That I know of. Did someone, did someone ask a question about that at all? <laughs> no, I just asked like, what we thought about the updated impressions on Prey. I played like another two hours. Yeah, I unfortunately, I did not play enough of it this week. I wanted to. I've got a bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes right now. I uh, did not have enough time to play more of it so we could talk about it. Neither did Matt, so we had to drop it from mm-hmm. this week's show, unfortunately. Um, so I've not played enough to say whether his review is right or wrong. Um, I did not play in the PC version. I'm playing the PS4 version. Mm-hmm. And it's... I mean, you know, I've played a handful of hours, and it certainly seems better than a four to me, but um, I haven't had my save wiped. Yeah. <laughs> I guess a better better question here is, how do you handle scoring blatantly broken games right. that you know are ultimately going to be fixed? And it's just like, you know, it's like, uh, was it like I had a friend who had played Arkham City? He's a giant, giant Batman fan. Loves Batman. Playing Arkham City about halfway through, halfway through the game, hit some kind of bug, save, got erased. Yeah. And now he won't play an Arkham game ever again. And I'm like, that seems extreme. That's a tough lesson to learn, though, man. Yeah. I but mean, like, that is rough. At the same time, I've played Arkham City three times. Right. So it's like, you know what? <laughs> I, I have started over in that game, and it's been fun then, too. I get, I get the frustration with something like that happening, but it's like... It's hard, you know. I I do tend to kind of, you know, my opinions of games tend to be based on what the games are and not their technical problems. It's like it's like saying like I hated that movie because the film broke, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, and it, it's it's hard because you know it's not like the, you can't like just go to the theater and say give me my money back because you screwed up and you know, the film broke. It's like this is inherent to the game and you can't play it any further. It's like it's not, you know it's like it's like uh, what was it uh, when I first played because i played the longest journey back when it came out in 1999 or whatever it was mm-hmm. but then the second time i played it i think was 
like 2008, 2009, and like... Completely different game. Uh, yeah, but also like I got... I mean, that's a long game. I mean, The Longest Journey is very well named. It is, It's, yeah. it's like a 25-hour... Adventure game. Adventure yeah. game. <laughs> and I got to like, I think it was, it's got to be like 90% of the way through the game, you end up on a space station and you have to go in a bathroom and do something to change and come out and, and basically you have to get to the last screen. Mm-hmm. And every time I went in the bathroom, the game crashed. And I couldn't fix it. I couldn't find a compatibility fix. People were like, nope, that's just how Windows 7 is with this game. You can't do anything about it. You can't get past it. You can't get any further. And I'm like... So what do I what do I think about this game? I can't get to the end of it. It doesn't work, but I love it. It's like that. Yeah. And then finally, I think GOG. When GOG put that up, they fixed they that fixed problem because because GOG is amazing. Um, it is. Yeah. But uh, it's just like one of those things. Is like it's like I don't hold that against the la- the longest journey, but it's like it's, it's hard. A, it's it's hard because at that point you're like saying like, well, you can't be telling people go ahead and buy this game because they right. might because look, run people into that. are watching your review or reading your review to figure out whether they want to buy something or not. And if you tell someone, hey, go buy this, and then they play eight hours of it and their save gets wiped, they're gonna be pissed mm-hmm. off at you and rightfully so. So, IGN. One thing I will say is IGN clearly labeled that review as a PC version review, which it hardly ever does. It never designates platform when it reviews games usually in the title of the review, um, and, and IGN specifically did mm-hmm. that with this review. I mean, the argument could be made that they should have put up a warning about, like, this happened to us with this, the PC version, and we are not going to score it until this is fixed or something. Or their reviews editor, probably what happened is that their reviews editor, that's the platform he chose to play. Right. And if you spent 18 hours playing a game for a review, and you're, I don't know how long he was in before it got wiped, I'm just making this up, but if you spent 18 hours playing a game, and then your save gets wiped, and you're like, go start back over on the PlayStation 4 version, you're probably going to be like, you know what? I will. I have to. But I am going to publish this review about the PC version first. Um, it's certainly better we know that that happened than don't know about right. it. Right. Do I think the game is a four? Probably not. Um, should they have published the review? Yes. I mean, there are people who are, want to play the PC version and should know about that. Um, did they handle it the right way? Yes, I think they did. I think uh, as long as you label it PC uh, and you clearly do that, which IGN clearly did, I think it's totally fine. Um, he just found himself in a bad situation, but I think he made the best out of it. So I really can't fault IGN for... Anything it did, even though I know there are people probably watching this right now saying, but I played it, it's better than a 4. I believe you. But Content-wise, pro- certainly probably better is, than a 4 so far, but it's like... This is his experience. Yeah. He can't just assume that everybody else has a good time. He has to report on what he himself experienced. And so mm-hmm. I, I can't find any fault with it's what like happened. Saying, it's like with Dishonored 2. Like if I was going to have written up a review of that the first week it was out, I would have had to write reviews like, yeah, this game doesn't work. Yeah. Like, I can't play this. It's, it's unplayable on my machine. Uh, Kevin Rafa points out that Polygon updates their scores, Mm -hmm. which is something a lot of publications don't do, and you're right, that is sort of a good stopgap in between the two, uh, is to sort of give a provisional score first, and then come in with your final score a little later. But I don't think I've ever seen IGN do that before, so it may not be a part of their editorial policy. All right, let's answer one or two more. Uh, if we can find some... You guys are chatty today. Hmm. Hippie 2000, the Switch is living the hype. Will this translate to third-party support? It already is, Hippie 2000. Uh, EA announced this week that it is increasing its support of the Switch. Um, And that's a big deal. 
You may well, not like EA. Well, they said they're bullish on it, but they didn't have any actual announcements. I'm assuming at E3 they'll announce something. E3, if they don't have some new stuff to announce for the Switch at E3, then I'd be a little concerned. Yeah. Because otherwise it sounds like, the, you know, they haven't released their FIFA game yet. Right. They have they have to keep up appearances until that happens. Yeah. Um, we'll see. You know, what was it? The, the Blaster Master, I guess they said, sold 80K. Not bad. Not great, but pretty good for a game that like rework of a ma- game that was only on the eShop of a brand new. Ma- platform. Basically, had no promotion whatsoever. Good. I was pretty impressed with that number. Um, I don't think that's going to entice Activision to make a Call of Duty port no, or no, anything. No, no. But like, it's uh, at least proves that you can. You know, I think that game was made in six months. Yeah, um, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good turnaround. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Uh, I I don't know what the Switch would have to do to get. Rockstar and some of the developers like that on board. It, it would just, have to add some chips. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, I mean look. There's not going to be a version of Red Dead Redemption 2 on this thing. No. This is not going to but happen. But look, Rockstar did support the Wii. I mean, it made Rockstar Table Tennis and a couple other ports or whatever for it. Yeah. To this day, probably the most confusing Rockstar game ever. Of all without time. a doubt, yeah. Um, it, the, it's just not powerful enough, so I don't think you're going to get a lot of the big-time developers on it, no matter mm. what happens. It could become the best-selling platform over PlayStation 4, and I still don't think you'd see a lot of these bigger boys making stuff for it. But uh, it, it's tough. I mean, if you're EA's position, it's like right now it's custom-building FIFA for Switch, and you know it's making this game specifically for a console. By then, the install base will probably be 3 million, maybe, mm. in the U.S. That's a tough... Thing to ask for, like, yeah. and I mean, you can point to the the attach rate, the attach rate as much as you want, but those are Nintendo games. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't that doesn't really mean anything to third party games, and it hasn't. And for it has two generations. for a long time. It hasn't since the GameCube, and even then, yeah. borderline. All right, one more. If we can find one in this mosh of madness, that is the comment section. Uh. Wolfox 10JC prediction for the Destiny 2 gameplay reveal. That's happening this week, by the way. Mm-hmm. I got an invite to go. There's an event here in LA, and I cannot go. I'm pretty bummed about it. But uh, somebody made a good point yesterday online. Oh, I saw someone on Facebook was talking about how their application for E3 had been rejected, like a lot of people's has. There's a lot of people in the industry who have been in the industry for a long time who are getting rejected for E3 this year. Uh, I've re- realized you guys may not even care or know about it. But, uh, like, a lot of our friends who have been in the industry for some cases, like, 30 years, have been to E3 20 straight years. Have been, all of, have been all E3s. Yeah, have been denied access to E3 this year. Without any real explanation. Nope. Some people have reached out to them, and I saw some people said that they actually did end up getting in. Mm. Another person said that they had to pay like they were just a normal person to get in. Wow. Yeah, so the times, they are a-changing for sure. Um, oh, I lost my place. What was the question again? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's hilarious. I went off on a tangent and totally forgot what the question Prediction was. For Destiny 2. Oh, yeah. Um, Predictions for Destiny 2. Matt, you played a lot more Destiny than I did. I predict it will be a first-person action RPG. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do. Same bet. I have no idea. <laughs> and no guesses at all? What about a wish that you hope they do? Um, change that you wish they made nothing that would really show in a gameplay reveal like the gameplay I think is fine I think it's the way the game is structured that is the problem yeah uh, so I guess maybe I'd, I hope they'd show like more organic 
quest pickup and and completion and maybe like you know a hub world that's a hub that's more integrated into you know less discrete load screens to places and more big world that is all kind of one place my prediction is it'll be a hell of a lot more like halo mm. <laughs> i think that's really the overarching thing that i think you're going to see with destiny is that bungie is going to try and satisfy all its old school fans who were not happy with destiny myself included i enjoyed destiny for what it was uh, i was disappointed and ultimately because what would make it more like halo just have more story less mm -hmm. grind um, I don't feel like Destiny needs to be like this 30-hour game where you kill the same guys over and over. I don't no. feel like it needs to be this MMO-ish type no. game. And I think they should. I think they should look to uh, one of the best kind of like you know MMO style, but like really you're playing a different genre that happens to be online. Thing is Marvel Heroes, um, which they have special events and stuff. But like basically you're running around playing stuff with with other players and like kind of like you know you go into like these big you know, open areas and, like, quests kind of pop up and you'd run over there with other players. It's very similar to Destiny, except it plays like Diablo. It's, yeah. like a, it's an isometric game. Um, but they had, a, like, a special thing going on, uh, uh, you know, XP bonus for the Guardians of the Galaxy release uh, this past weekend. I leveled up uh, Star-Lord from nothing to max level in an hour. <laughs> wow. And, and, like, the game's like, they're like, yeah, go for it. Do it. Like get in there, like play it. Do have fun. Get the guy have up there. Get fun. all your stuff. And That's do the it. important part. And like have fun. Th I, I, That's I was, all the care. And about. I remember doing that. I playing. I got him and Rocket Raccoon up to max level in an hour each. And then like, and then I could play with all their abilities. And I could go do the high level content and stuff. And I was like, you know, uh, Bungie should really be looking at this as like, you know, stop gating the journey and make the content worth playing on its own. Make it fun to do. And, like, I think they have the moment-to-moment -moment fun down, but they need to make the kind of holistic experience fun. And, yep. like, I don't know how you demonstrate that in a gameplay reveal, but uh, I guess that would, yeah, I would agree with you that that was kind of what I'm, I'd be after. Yep. A uh, story the, I care about and a progression that doesn't piss me off. Yeah. Make it look fun instead mm -hmm. of just slogging through enemy after enemy. One more thing before we go. Kevin Rafa says, your thoughts on Halo 6 not appearing at E3... Apparently that's the news that just broke while we've been doing the show because mm. I did not see this. So um, that's a big deal if they don't have Halo Six to show for Scorpio. Yeah, I in think my I think you uh, you were kind of expecting they might not. Last time we talked about it, and I thought they would. I thought they would at least show like a like a teaser trailer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if they got nothing to show, that's a little worrying. That's a problem for Scorpio. Because at the very least, you want to see what Halo is ostensibly going to look like on this new hardware. Exactly. It's the benchmark. Everyone yeah. knows what Master Chief looks like. Yeah. And so being able to see him from Xbox to Xbox 360 mm -hmm. to Xbox One to Xbox Scorpio, it's a mistake. Um, and they very easily could have mocked up something in-engine, even if the game is nowhere near done. And as we saw earlier with the Nielsen topic that we talked about with the numbers, Xbox Scorpio is not tracking exactly well right now. It could really use a kick in the pants. So I think that's a mistake, and I'm disappointed to hear that. But thank you very much for filling us in on stuff that happened while we were sitting here uh, yeah. recording. Because so. a Halo reveal will get you some play on CNN. Yep, that's for sure. All right, that's going to wrap up Game Face episode 87. But before we go, we have one more thing to handle. We have a brand new member of Sifted Elite. Bring it up. Kusto, Welcome to Sifted Elite. Welcome to Team Green. Thank you. Oh, I just died. The clapper just died. 
Yep. Huh. It doesn't make it all the way through the clap anymore before it cuts out. <laughs> Cousteau, thank you very much. Uh, you actually donated above and beyond what was needed to uh, get your green skins. And I did double check on the site today to make sure you got your green, and you did. So thank you very much for your donation, man. We really appreciate it. Um, next week should be more game-filled yeah. and less topic-filled. There's a fair amount of stuff coming. Yeah. I, I will have time to play Prey before next week's show. I will also have time to play The Surge. I'm going to actually jump on that today. Could this be the Souls-alike that finally hooks Shane? No, we'll see. It looks hard <laughs> as balls. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I'm going to give it a whirl, and we'll find out. So uh, everybody have a great weekend. Uh, go Penguins. Let's go Pens. Pulling off the uh, improbable victory in a Game 7. I know there's a Caps fan on the site that uh, reached out to me with a direct message like the day or the day before the game, and he was starting to feel confident. Hmm. And he was like, the, the, the title of the direct message was Capitals Comeback. And uh, I was like, yeah, you know, the Penguins, they look tired, blah, blah, blah. But they have the heart of a champion. And he kind of wrote back and was like, kind of trying to say there's no way they're going to win. Now you see the heart of a champion. <laughs> I don't know what any of this is. <laughs> yeah. Something about hockey. Hockey. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, everyone have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us on the live stream. We had a great lively chat today, and you guys asked great questions. We'll see you next week. Game Face is up and out.